Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, however, wherever, whenever you're listening. This is the Root for Wisconsin show, episode 59, season 2, episode 7, coming at you from the Riverwood Gallery and Mean Your True Value Studio in De Pere, Wisconsin. I'm your host, Big E, Eric Fisher, joined in person here by Ramsey Thompson. How you doing, buddy? Awesome. How are you guys doing today? And the full cast and crew is back together. Justin Dahl joins us via Zoom. Justin, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good. Good to be back with you guys after a week layoff. I uh, had a basketball game that I had to attend. It was a big one. Uh, the Jilla Tigers came out on top. In fact, crushed the Surrey Eagles in the in the basketball game that I had to attend and help uh, help coach uh, my good friend Coach Russ Young and and we got her done. Good to hear. With that, like I said, full cast and crew ready to go. Couple things to take care of here before we start the episode. Uh, first, gotta talk about our partners. We've got Monkey Knife Fight, which uh, was not a good weekend for me on that. Uh, for those of you that follow our Facebook page, as we've mentioned frequently before, um, do not always do what, exactly what we do. You either do exactly what we do or the opposite. In this case, it would have been the opposite because, well, actually, there was not even two offensive scored touchdowns in the game. So, there was not have been a winner either way. So, our bad. It happens. It's part of the contest. Don't, don't drag us into this. My we're bad. we're only yeah. involved this if we win. This ain't an us thing. Only if we win, we're involved. You suck. You guys can you make picks. You suck. That's what I think you jinxed. You can make Aaron picks, Jones too. and Devontae Adams. You guys can make picks, you too. Jinx. You, you jinx Matt LaFleur is who you jinx. Ah. Uh. We're doing this again. Anyway. This is going on hill real quick. Yeah. <laughs> we also got our partners over at Ray's Energy. Uh, we talked last week how the Blue Shock flavor was sold out the same day it released. It's back. So check out Ray's dot, or repsports.com, Ray's Energy, code root 4 R O O T number 4, 15% off any order. Get your bundle of the Blue Shock. Also have a charitable announcement to make uh, that I probably should have made last week, but here we are regardless. For sure confirmed, Sean Klosterman, one of our loyal listeners, and myself are doing the Special Olympics Wisconsin Polar Plunge at Lambeau Field. Ramsey's on the fence, and Justin's too much of a wuss to jump in a pool. For charity. Not even close to that going to happen. For charity. I think I lean towards Justin. I'll just drink and donate. For charity. Yeah. If you would have asked me to donate, I'm in. If you would have told me that I didn't have to jump, in an ice cold pool, I'm, I'll give you some money. I don't give a shit. I'm not jumping in a pool. It, they canceled schools tomorrow because it's too cold outside. What kind of idiot would jump in a pool in that in that mindset? I'm For a good saying. cause and to drink some beer, I would. And you guys can both donate as our link for our team is on our Facebook page. So check that out if you want to donate towards Special Olympics Wisconsin. And the Root for Wisconsin yes, team, donate. please donate. And Sean and I are going to get a little cold and kind of wet. So check that out. We'll have some coverage from that day. That's February 26th. So next month, next 32 days technically, 31 by the time the episode comes out. I will look at the temperature and then determine if I feel like jumping in a pond or not. It's not. It's a pool. It's at Tailgate Village. Well, that's lame. It kind of, yeah. But So there's no even threat of dying underneath the ice? Probably not. I don't know uh, if they're going to have an actual, like, maybe I'm, they leave it out. Then I'm definitely out. Either way, you guys can donate to me. Where's we'll the adrenaline it. rush? 
I, I don't know how they do it. I don't, this is new. I, I did it once when they did it at, uh, what was that bar in Swamico? Um, the bar? The Sandlot. Oh, the Sandlot. And they have like a pond back there you you jumped into. Um, did that before, but have not done it since it's moved to Lambeau. So I'm really curious on the layout of that. But find out February 26th. So between now and then, feel free to donate if you can. And with that, we go f- right in the meat of the episode. We talk about what we had rooted for in the last week, and that is sponsored by Fanatics. Fanatics, show your love for your team, even if you're sitting here like we all are, heartbroken about the Packers losing. Show your love for your team, hashtag love on. Show your gear, show your love for your team, hashtag love on. And Justin, you weren't here the last week, so you could start it off. Man, what I rooted for, how could you not root for this? This is easy one for me, boys. This is, this is Joey Burrow, Jamar Chase, and, and the Cincinnati Bengals uh, going all the way and kind of announcing themselves as a, a few as a contender now, but obviously a, a future contender. Uh, just just showing that the AFC is starting to really stack up in, in uh, the hierarchy of who's going to be good in the AFC for the next five years, five to ten years. Um, and, and the quarterback play is getting better. Joey Burrow is an impressive football player, man. He's a, he's a good good quarterback. Uh, I, I've, I rooted for Zach Taylor, who had a rough go around his first couple years. Uh, Cincinnati being on the fence of even firing this guy. And just uh, in his third year, just a short stint has, has uh, the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC championship game. What a roster they built fast. Uh, so good for those guys. I believe I did say it a few weeks ago, and I still firmly believe this. I think Joe Burrow should be the MVP of the league. Not even after this past week. I said it on the pod, what, three or four weeks ago? Something like that. And I was kind of a little not fully bought in by some people, but definitely I think Joe Burrow is the MVP of the league. an interesting take i wouldn't disagree i'd have to look at it a hell of a lot deeper um but i tell you what yeah. him and him and aaron Rodgers have very similar stats across the board basically he's top down they're basically mirrored well we know one thing he can at least win a big game regular Ting. season award regular season award ramsey what'd you root for this last week what national titles does aaron Rodgers have just Super Bowl. Zero. Technically, they're equal. Just the zero. They're not equal. There's no, no. They're in not terms of equal. titles. The national championship in college football is not equal to the Super Bowl. He did beat Trevor Lawrence at <laughs> Clemson. They're though. not. That's true. That's basically the 2007 equal. Patriots. <laughs> basically. <laughs> All right, Rams, what'd you root for? Nothing. Nothing? That's fair. I am rooting the Rolex 24 is coming up this weekend. Pumped. We'll get we'll get to that later in the episode. That is my favorite weekend of the year. That is a good one. I we'll literally get... just stay up and watch racing for 24 straight hours. We'll get to that later. I usually watch 18 hours of the 24. That sounds about right. Uh, I had rooted for the Green Bay Phoenix, my alma mater, to get some games in, specifically the women's team. And once again, another weekend canceled by COVID. Another. This is now the seventh game that they've had canceled. Their sixth and seventh games canceled due to the Uncle COVID. The old uh, cronies. Which they will actually. These are the first ones they're actually going to make up. But 
Uh, they are going to be making up these UW Milwaukee games at a later point, but man, you just, your heart breaks. Like these Green Bay girls have played two games in the month of January. It's okay. Wow. They can just get medical red shirts like that one kid from Louisiana Tech who's going to be the seventh year in college football. That's awesome. So, anyway, that's what it, I keep the dream had, alive. I had rooted for that. They had the free year of eligibility uh, from COVID last year, and they have played less games last year or this year than they will have last year, which is insane. The quarterback I was referring was DK Metcalf's high school quarterback is still playing college football. That's awesome. That's awesome. It does. It is a really shitty part about the kind of climate we live in now on especially for athletes where they get something that can only be played for so long taken away from them. And I can only imagine how hard that is, especially for someone who's playing division one college basketball and you worked your entire life to get to that point And you have a, a really rough virus that's taken it away. That's not a, just, it's just a rough. It's outside of your control. And I think that's what sucks the most. I guess that's what I was getting at. And it's yeah. not even, I mean, they had one weekend where it was something with their team. Sure. But since that, other than that one weekend, it's been any time that they've like, and it's been mostly home games. So that's the really weird part of it. Um, not all of them home games, but a majority of them. Enough. That's just, I believe five of the seven have been home games or maybe six or maybe four of seven, but still it's insane. Um, anyway, so that's that's the UW Green Bay situation. The men did play, um, got a big win. Probably, I would say Will Ryan's biggest win as the UW Green Bay coach, knocking down Detroit Mercy and the number one leading scorer in the country, Antoine Davis. Who? Antoine Davis. Is he good? Pretty good. Sure. Mike Davis's son. You remember Mike Davis used to be the head coach at Indiana. Used to be the head coach at. At uh, UAB. Oh, you mean Bob Knight? Yeah. <laughs> His protege, actually, yeah. Yes, Ramsey. Yes, Bob Knight. Bob Knight's son played for Detroit Mercy and coached. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, so big win for the Green well, Bay program. And... I, it's funny. For me, it's funny that you say it's Will Ryan's biggest win at Green Bay. He's only had, what, four or five of them, right? One Something has like to that, be the yeah. biggest, though. <laughs> the statement still holds true. Just because the quantity of wins isn't there doesn't mean it's not the biggest one yet. No, but definitely a quality Good win over a quality him. opponent. Um, getting really getting Green Bay into the right direction and, and whatnot, too. Well, you've said that, though, that they're kind of starting to get pointed in the right direction. However, I think Justin has said that he's garbage. That has been a debate that we've had in the group chat. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Not garbage. I thought you said a bad coach, as I think, quote, unquote. Well, let's hear Justin. What do you what do you got here, buddy? I've I've said I've said that he might not be the answer for us at UWGB. Of course, this is the second year. It has been quite the turnover of roster in which Eric has pointed out multiple times. You're damn right I have. I think you said shitty. I'm coach. willing to give the <laughs> I'm willing to give the guy a shot, but in today's day and age of college basketball. It's very easy to turn, and especially at a mid-major, it's very easy to turn a program around faster than you think. 
Um, so I'm glad you Especially that with up. how the transfer portal and all that stuff works. But I want to turn it on now. I'm, I'm glad you right. bring that up, Justin. Because um, Will Ryan actually was asked about this, I believe, on Saturday. Or maybe it was on uh, Thursday. Uh, I had one of these games against the, the Detroit metro area schools. And he pointed back to that there's two ways to build a program. You can build it where you're basically getting constant turnover with transfer portal guys, which for some is a way to go. Or you can actually build the program. And I think I got to give Will Ryan credit. Maybe I just maybe I'm a little too close to the picture. I got to give him credit for that. I mean, the recruiting that his staff has done, especially in state, has been nothing short of incredible in the grand scheme of things. When you're really trying to build the program back up, I know that we had talked uh, before we started recording about Todd Kowalczyk at Toledo, former Green Bay coach, really trying to get it back to that point of relevancy. And even before that, I think I, I do admire what he's trying to do and, and the steps that they're taking to get there. Well, I, you know, I only hold off on what, on him being a bad coach in, in the fact that he is completely changing the style of basketball in which UWGB was built with Link Darner. Uh, Link even, Darner even before Link Darner, Florida I mean, Southern was run and gun, shoot it as fast, pace of game, needs to go as fast as we possibly can. We want to maximize possessions and, and get as many as we can. This Brian is Wardle different had that in, too, to an extent too. Type, this... Mm, Mm, not really. Anyways, this is a completely different type of style of basketball. This is slow you down, grind you down um, type of basketball that that uh, will maximize the efficiency of possessions instead of the amount of possessions. So it's a it's a completely different style of basketball. So I'm 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 willing to you know give him a break and see what he can do. But year three really has to show a lot of improvement. Well, year um, two is not done. And I, I, I'm going to go on record as saying that year two is going to have some bigger moments here coming up yet, too. Well, can't really get any worse, can it? Record-wise speaking, probably not, but... Only up from there? Hey, you, you're not wrong. <laughs> well, what is their, Just what is their record right now? They are four and... A lot. <laughs> um, and they struggled to beat UW Superior. And I believe after that that's, game. That's another program. Kind of... Four and 14 on the year uh, where they did beat, they did struggle in that UW Superior game in the first half. They start slow. Um, they have since gotten wins over Detroit Mercy, which is a, like I said, probably their biggest win in the Will Ryan era, which doesn't say a whole lot, but it's still saying something. Um, a win over Robert Morris. And then that's a pretty good win, actually. Trying to see what the other one was. They hung with Indiana State, got boat raced by Wisconsin. They should have beat Indiana State. He blew that game. They, they had blew three. That game. They had he did th three really good games in that Jersey Mike's Classic when they took on UNC Greensboro, Florida International, and Weber State. Yeah, I would agree with that too. I believe there maybe their other one other win might have been a COVID cancellation. I think because I can't find it readily available here. Oh no, they beat IUPUI. They they boat raced IUPUI. 
Okay. Well, I mean, you, you in I'm not saying that the guy needs to have a a, a you know a 21 and nine record. Is you know he's got to be close to 500. That's probably the next the next step to his evolution of what the program should be next year, right? Because he's got a lot of young guys, and a lot of these young guys should be coming back. Yeah, they, I don't think I don't really of, don't think they're going to lose anybody. To be honest with you, this off season, which is would be the first time. I, I mean, it's only been this is only year two, but the amount of roster turnover they had, even from this year to last year, or last year or this year, if you technically would technically how it would go, but the roster turnover they had from Darner's team was like nine guys. Yeah, they. I think they had two guys this year who had logged minutes last year, or maybe three. Yeah, but anyway, I, I, you gotta. I'll give him credit, but from positives to negatives, some of the stuff he runs is. Anyway, sorry. Positives to negatives, we go from what we had rooted for to what we are giving the Tyler Hero Nook of the Week award, and I'm gonna go first in this one because I know that you guys are both gonna tune this out anyway. But the Baseball Hall of Fame writers, and I know yeah. I've gotten on them before. And just for the guys who waste their ballot and, and think that they're better than this, the game and better than these players and use their balloting as a personal vendetta, which we've seen in other sports lately too, um, especially in the NFL MVP race, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but the fact that David Ortiz is the only guy who is going to be the 2022 class at the Hall of Fame, which nothing against David Ortiz, is an incredible player, but he also, technically, if you're really going to take this stand against steroid use, in a lot of ways, he's just as guilty as these other guys that you're not allowing in. Your Bonds, McGuire, Sosa, yeah, You just happen to like him better. You just happen to like him better. And here we are. David Ortiz is the only one. And then of these guys, you look at Bonds, Clemens, I think, and Schilling. And Schilling had no um, steroids. His big thing was just people don't like how he speaks politically. And you're taking and and barring these guys from the Hall of Fame because of some I'm better than than the sport and better than the history of the game attitude, and the fact that these guys all lost voting percentages from last year or this year and even the year before that is insane to me. So my noogie goes to the Baseball Writers of America Association or Baseball Writers Association of America, whatever the hell it is. While we're talking about Hall of Fames. I would like to say this on this topic, and we and what you guys think I'd be interested to hear. I think in sports in general, and across all professional sports, I think that we've gotten mixed up between the Hall of Good and the Hall of Fame, right? I, what you're saying is not wrong. However, I would say with baseball, and I'm probably the biggest hater of the baseball writers. I think it's the biggest joke in professional sports. Because first off, no one pays attention to writers anymore. So I don't understand why we're letting these outdated clowns vote. But that's not here nor there. However, I would say this about baseball. And you have to deserve to be in. Right? I think we had the same conversation with the NFL where we're we're looking at it. We're like, okay, well, there's a couple true Hall of Famers going in this year. But there's a lot of average players on there as well. And it, I, in my opinion, it's okay to have an exclusive Hall of Fame. I think what you're getting at is the fact that you have people that are Hall of Famers that aren't in. 
Right. I think I think somebody I can't remember who it was, one of the national sources had broken it down. Where even if you let twenty guys in either this year or the next two years, something like that, <laughs> it would still work out to being less than like a tenth of the percent of people who've ever played baseball. Which I mean, and even having a one person class, I wish the NFL and even to extent NASCAR, they let Dale Jr. in on a first ballot Hall of Fame this year. Yeah. Not saying that Dale Jr. is not a NASCAR Hall of Famer. However, Dale Jr. probably had one of the most disappointing careers from start to finish of any driver of all time. And is that necessarily his fault? No. I think the expectations were too high. Oh, astronomically. He had no... Dale Jr. had no chance to succeed. But we do the same thing that we're talking about with the NFL is that we get confused between the Hall of Good and the Hall of Fame. Does Dale Jr. deserve to be in the same conversation as Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, Tony Stewart, Richard Petty, Dale Earnhardt, Kelly Yarbrough, Daryl Waltrip, Alan Kowicki? No. Those guys are so far ahead of him, but we're going to let him in because we have to let three people in. Like Red Farmer also got in. Who deserves to be in? He, I mean, he's still racing today on local dirt tracks <coughs> in Florida. But Dale Jr., I mean, so I think that it's just one of those things that we need to kind of focus up on what we actually consider great players versus really good players. As a whole, I would definitely agree with you. Um, I think the NBA is very guilty, or the basketball, because it's technically the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame. It's not the NBA. I think the NBA is probably the most guilty of this of the, of the mainstream sports. NFL is too. NFL or an NBA. But it shouldn't also be... I mean, it should be exclusive, but it shouldn't be the, the way that the baseball writers have done it, where they've had, I believe in the last five years, they've had two years where there wasn't a single person inducted. And but, we've had we've had players worthy of that nod in these last five years. I would almost rather that, though, than let everybody in. Right, but you look at, like, so these names I've mentioned, Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. Roger Clemens. Roger Clemens should be in the Hall of Fame. These guys have gone out on the ballot for 10 years. If you want to make some moral standing and, and say, you know, steroids are bad and these guys don't believe, shouldn't be hall, first ballots, sure, fine. You know, take your moral high ground and... And not acknowledge a true history of baseball, which is flawed, but it's still the history. Fine. If that's if that's the battleground that you want to die on, sure. But the fact that 10 years of eligibility has gone on for these guys, and you're not going to acknowledge the importance that they had to the game and allow them to be in the Hall of Fame, and where it's ultimately going to have to come down to some group of writers in 40 years from now letting these guys in when they're either already gone or on their deathbed kind of stupid to me agreed justin is it my turn to go noogie or are we still talking about stupid baseball writers well we're talking about hall of fames in general and but yeah sure if you i was just gonna see if you had any anything to, to add on here or even add on to ramsey's thing about uh the exclusivity of the hall of fame versus uh, being very stingy. Yeah. Well, I totally agree. I think. I think. It does. It does get watered down. It, it feels watered down, especially in today's age. Um, I think what, when we talk about most watered down, we're we're talking about the NFL, no doubt about it, right? Um, 
because we looked at it was a few weeks ago. We looked at the names that Ramsey was talking about, and there, you know, there was no one on there that we could say, you know, for sure. Well, for Devin sure, Hester for sure. Like <laughs> that is a terrible take. <laughs> Anyways, but I wanted to ask Ramsey some questions about. Dale Jr., and you pretty much covered it, but how many wins did Dale Jr. have? 32. In his career. He's... Yeah. Or 20, 28. He's like, I think he's 32 all time. I'll look. Go ahead. I'm, I'm going to guess 27 at 32 of all time. 26 for Cup no. Series. So that's pretty close. Then. And 24 in the Xfinity. Okay. And then... It, and then, well, okay. So what is that? That's 50 on the head, right? So how many of those are plate races? I don't would have be, that right you know, what he had so six at, you would say you would six at Talladega, that, four or five at Daytona. So, I mean, you got to think a third of those races are probably plate races. Right. At least a third. So you would, so you would ironically, you would look at this guy and and wipe the name off of it and you would say that he is probably at least a top five restrictor plate racer of all time right no really yes <laughs> i think jeff I, see, jeff no, gordon jeff gordon is the best plate racer of all time He's followed very closely behind dale earnhardt and I think Brad Kozlowski was better than Junior. I think Tony Stewart was better than Junior. Tony Stewart just happened to have the misfortune of some really bad luck. And I, I know that that's one of those things that, oh, well, if he was lucky, then everyone would win. But Tony Stewart almost won the 500 half a dozen times. And I, I would say that Dale Jr. is a very good plate racer. He lacked very heavily at intermediates, and he wasn't a good road horse racer. So half of the sport, he was slightly above average in at the, for the majority of his career in top three equipment in the entire sport. So I, I know what you're saying and how, where you're going with that take on, well, if he's one of the best plate racers of all time, then yeah, you have to kind of let him in. And I, I guess I don't 100% disagree with that because at the end of the day, he did have yeah. results. However, if you yeah. look at the programs that he See, was where, in, yeah. I, he under. So where I was going to go with it, because like if we're going to talk about Devin Hester and being one of the greatest special teams returners of all time, and we want to make him a first ballot, but why can't we look at NASCAR and say that he was one of the spe best specialists in plate racing during his time? So why wouldn't he get a look at it? That, that's where I was going with it. I would say so, and in my opinion, and this might not be 100% accurate, this is just how I view NASCAR as a whole. There is NASCAR is the hardest sport to be a championship contending driver and to be a heavily winning driver because there, there's two parts between that. First off, it's a solely, there's teams in NASCAR, but it's an individual person competing against 
43 to 38 other individual people, right? So your odds of winning a race are considerably lower than winning a game. And that kind of goes into it as well, right? So we're talking the jun junior had 26 wins in NASCAR, which is a lot. But again, that's 32nd all time. So I don't. Th I think it's more one of those things that, in my opinion, NASCAR should not be letting guys in who are more... It, junior underachieved and was average a lot of his career. I don't think that he should be in. I think that it should be more exclusive than that. I think it should be more of a special... Because even right now in NASCAR currently, there's probably half a dozen Hall of Famers. And that's okay. And I think it should be close to what baseball is on letting people in very selectively than just kind of letting everyone in. And that's kind of what they've been doing it since it opened in 2010, 2012. It's been about been about decades since yeah, it's been trying open. to catch up. They're trying to catch up and they let a bunch of these guys in instead of <coughs> making it exclusive and making it kind of a more of a bigger deal. And, you know, I would say if you guys have never been to the NASCAR Hall of Fame, even if you're not, not a NASCAR fan, it is an incredibly cool thing to go to. It's relatively cheap. It's in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's state-of-the-art facilities. It's, a, it's just a really cool thing to go see. But like I was saying, there's some people that are in there and who are going to be let in eventually that don't need to be in. So I guess that's my take on the NASCAR Hall of Fame. How many, so, and this is where, and this is where I'm going to lose you, and this is where you're going to get really pissed off about this argument, okay? How many years consecutively did he win NASCAR's most popular driver? Fifteen. And this is, now, you don't think that should factor in either? No. For what he has done for NASCAR. Yes and no. I like I said, as an owner That's an interesting as, perspective for sure. But I don't think that's what the Hall of Fame should be for. Like there's broadcasting Hall of Fames. If you want to put him in as a broadcaster in the broadcasting Hall of Fame, sure, but you shouldn't go into well, NASCAR as a broadcaster. Do you know what I mean? And as a well, team, I don't, even think, I don't think it's as a broadcaster. Well, I think it's just the impact that he had on the sport right. bringing eyes to the sport. Right. Okay, but where'd those eyes go? And you're talking, but you're talking about us. And this is where it's unique because you're talking about a sport that is solely funded on advertising and eyes watching your sport. And if he's the biggest factor within your sport to bring that money to your sport, doesn't but, he deserve so more credit than he's getting? I would say it was overplayed. I don't think that he was. Because since Dale Jr. has left, ratings have been going up. So Dale Jr. wasn't moving the ratings. And I'm sure at one point he probably was. But I don't think it was moving ratings for being a great driver. It was moving ratings because you're Dale Earnhardt's son. There's a, there's a different... Sure, if you win 15, driver, or 15 most popular, most popular drivers. drivers in a row, that's fine. But you still don't have a cup championship. And for what it's worth, he was only close once, and I don't even think he was actually close. It was one of those, I believe he had a second place finish in 2000. I'll look it up. Don't you three worry. Three or four. I'll look it up. Don't you worry. I don't even know if it was a second place finish. To be honest. So we're talking about a guy who 
was a really, really good driver who had a really, really good career, but did, never won a championship. And I get the championships aren't always the deciding factor. Like Mark Martin. Mark Martin should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He should be, I believe he's in as a first ballot Hall of Famer. But Junior's best year point standing wise was he finished third in 2003. And that wasn't close because Kenseth ended up winning that championship like three weeks before the season ended. So we're talking that he was never even close to a championship. And Mark Martin had, I believe in the 90s, had four or five second place championship finishes. So I think that if you don't have to win a championship to be in, but I think that you have to be widely regarded as one of the best race car drivers of all time, and he's just not there. Mark Martin, if you ask a lot of people, would tell you, especially with his success with the IROC series, he was arguably one of the best drivers in NASCAR for about 20 years, but he just never got it done, which is okay. But it's a little bit different than what Dale Jr. was. He just flat out underachieved. Okay, I just wanted to get your take. All right, so we still have your guys' nuggies to go yet. Uh, Justin, what's yours? Mine's going to be real simple, real easy. Um, as much as I love watching the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers lose to the Rams, as much as I love that, my noogie is going to be on the Hockey League crew. And what the hell kind of call was that uh, against Eric Weddle and Mike Evans late in the game where they called uh, a late hit or whatever it was, but it w- went into effect after the ball hit the ground. So it was an after-the-play call instead of unnecessary roughness during the play. So the Rams still ended up getting the ball and essentially killing the game. Do you guys you guys know what I'm talking about here, right? I know what you're talking about, but there wasn't that in the midst of the comeback. That wasn't what sealed it. I would say that's a very I... slippery slope to be on. Cuz now you've set a precedence that you can hit guys after the play or after the play and not have any real penalty. Is that really that Justin? I don't I don't understand the call. It's like so when the ball hits the ground, the play I was thought over. this was a great point when I saw it when I saw it on Twitter. When the ball hits the ground, the play is over. So any hit after that is after the play. But when a guy steps out of bounds, isn't the ball dead then? So when you hit a guy out of bounds, wouldn't it be after the play? Yeah, it would be. It should be. So, and it has not been called that consistently. And this and this is where a lot of the questions are going to come in. When, where, how? Is this another rule that we're going to have to, you know, look at for, for replay? If the ball is still in the air, and when does the hit first start getting initiated? Are we going to, you know, put it to whoever? That's... So correct it was me just if, really weird. Correct me really... if I'm wrong. So okay, I pulled it up. The score at the time, it was 27-13 with 12-22 left in the game, in regulation, when that happened. It was 4th and 14, which, I mean, it's a personal foul, so it would have been a first down. 
they did that after the play. So technically the turnover possession happened. And then they marked it off against the Rams offense. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. watch watching this in real time. So I've watched it a few times now since that game. And I'm watching it right now as we speak, which is great material for a podcast. But so I'm watching it as we speak. Brady goes back to throw. Ball drops way over that. Yeah, I don't like that call. I and I didn't like it on Sunday either. But when you're making that point, and especially how slippery of a slope that is, and with it being, I think it, the main thing is that it's fourth down, and technically it would switch possession. But that doesn't matter, I don't think either. Like they're treating yeah. it like as if it was after a punt, when the punt happened, and then there was non-sportsmanlike conduct that would have given it like right a 15-year penalty. I, yeah, no, I'm with Justin on this one. That's all I had. I, I just thought it was really, like the whole, in the whole, like hockey, they did a great job of explaining what their thought process was. It was just, the whole thing was just weird to me. Like I've never seen this before. And God knows I've watched an ungodly amount of football in my life. But to see this call and, and to be issued this way is it raises a whole lot of eyebrows and a whole lot of questions that, you know, down the road, a lot of people are going to ask, like, it is, is this a, something that the NFL is going to have to look at or in the off season and change the rule? I mean, I guess I would say this for what it's worth. The NFL tends to get it right. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, right. For rules wise, right. In the grand scheme of things, probably. They tend to get it right more often than they don't. I guess I don't want to see an overreaction to this where we need to make a rule change. Because like you were just said, Justin, you've been watching football for, what, 30 years? And yep. you've never seen that call before, right? Not like that, no. I think that it... I think what... I think I would like the rule to be reviewed... I don't know if it's something that needs to be changed, though, because it's never been an issue up to this point. And I think the fact that it was on fourth down was a big contributor to that, too. Or Because technically, I, when the ball hits, it's a turnover of downs, right? When the play comes to an end. So when the ball hits the ground. Essentially, yes. So but, technically, it was the Rams' ball at that point, and then the hit was after that. Technically, yes, but also at the same time, I think that's also still part of the play. I, okay, I, that's fair. I mean, I'm not... Because it's... If, if it was after, like, let's just say it was as the team was walking off the field and Eric Weddle came and jolted them, just like they got in a fight or whatever. Sure. Then by all means, I'm on I'm on team do it after the possession change. But when it's that bang, bang in the play, and you could have, you really could have even gone with defenseless receiver at that point of how he tried to catch that ball. Sure. I'm leaning towards Justin. I guess it depends on what rule you're actually using as a penalty. Maybe that's just... A point of clarity as opposed to a rule change but i think it needs to I, I i agree with justin as well i think that it didn't sit right with me you're watching it live and you're kind of like okay that that doesn't seem right right but i guess i don't I, i'm kind of i wish the nfl would simplify rules instead of make them more complicated well me i mean yeah, we're, no kidding like the biggest one for me of all the rules and i i just saw this on a tweet one make one rule 
change that you could make to make the NFL easier to understand. And my one rule was it's either if you're going to be, if you're going to have a roughing the kicker, roughing the punter penalty, why is there discretion in everything in that, in that play only? That is the only thing that there's really discretion. And they say whether he hits the plant leg or whatever that it should either be, if it's this, it's a 15 yard penalty. If it's not that, then it's not a fucking penalty. Like, whether it's a five or a fifteen yard penalty, it's like it's like the old face mask rule. If you just grasped it, you only got five yards. But if you grasped and pulled, then you got fifteen yards. Like they did away with that. Like why can't we? It, the NFL logically just doesn't think sometimes. See, here's my. I mean, I, and this is this is going to kind of point to the back of the packing, which we're going to talk about later in the episode. But really, I think ultimately, the fact that we still can't figure out what the fuck a catch is. Hundred percent is beyond me because really, I I know you know when when you have when you don't have full time officials, and you have a bunch of guys who are lawyers and shit being your your officials and they're doing this part time, you kind of have to overdo the rules so that there's really you try to avoid subjectiveness to these rules. You try to define it so clearly that you forget about the eye test. Yep, and. I mean, we look at the Packer game. We look at that Brandon Ayuk fumble that ended up being reversed and then ends up being a punt. And, I mean, Green Bay still gets the ball back. No harm, no foul at that point. But that's a massive change in field possession. Massive change in momentum. And we'll talk, like I said, we'll talk about the game more in depth here in a few in a little bit. But just the fact that we still, we've been going on about this. this Since the Calvin Johnson catch in Chicago week, what, three or four? I don't think it was that. I think it was like two. Twelve. Something like that. The fact that we still can't figure out what a catch is and what passes the eye test of a catch is baffling to me. Agreed. I think you guys are totally both on to something. Totally Ramsey, your nuggie? As we hit like the 45-minute mark, still talking about our nuggies. I, so I, I know this is – I don't like the NFL's overtime rule. I would give the NFL a noogie for the overtime because it's 100%. been, a, it's been yes. an issue. Now, we have to preface this. The NFL does not want overtime. The NFL doesn't want overtime, period. They would want – they want as little plays as possible. But the fact that we watched Kansas City and Buffalo in probably the best game of the year – if not one of the best games I've ever seen played, and Josh Allen didn't get touched the ball in overtime because he lost the coin flip, that's not right. I would propose this. Not right. Every team, you spot the ball at the 10-yard line. Every team gets two plays. And it goes to the same version of college overtime. So offense gets two. If you score in the two plays, you get you flip sides. Right, so Kansas City scores on their one of their first two plays, scores a touchdown. Buffalo has two plays to rebuttal. You have one of that, and then you have the same thing, two plays, and you have to go for two. And you play until there's a winner, because I think that the issue that the NFL has is that they don't want players getting injured in overtime. Because let's say Kansas City and Buffalo would have went. If Kansas City got the ball 
mm-hmm. how big of a disadvantage is that for the winner of that game going into the next wave? Right. That's why I'm saying make it short, two plays, 10 yard line, go till someone doesn't score a touchdown. And I think that would be the best way to do it. See, I kind of like I like the college style. I mean, it's so easy to point to, but the college style, give them the ball at like the 20 yard line and 25 yard line. Play like normal football from there, untimed. You know, you get a couple, you get two two chances for a first down, or you kick a field goal. See, I think that's what the NFL wants to avoid, and that's why I said throw it at the 10, two plays. Because I don't think the NFL wants there to be more plays. I think they want it to be done in as least plays as possible. If you can't score from the 10 and 2, <coughs> then you have the oppor- you have the opportunity that someone scores in one, then the next team throws a pick on the next play, and then you're done. Let in me ask plays. you this. Do you have in your proposal, and I know this is hypothetical, but this is nothing we're looking at you know, seriously. Unless Roger Goodell, if you're listening, and the team owners are listening, then by all means. Hit your boy up. Hit your, your, your guys up here. But also, my next question would be, on that second play, hypothetically speaking, could you kick a field goal? Or do you have to yes. go? Okay. You can kick a field goal until the second or third go around, I guess. Okay. That's what I'm saying. You have one, at least one shot at the end zone, then you have the option to kick a field goal. Okay. And do that for the first overtime or second overtime, just like college does, and then force people to score a touchdown and go for two. That's how I think the NFL overtime should work. Make it short, make it yeah, sweet, think, but give the ball to both teams. I don't think it's a bad idea. I, I personally would uh, like to – I don't know that I agree that the NFL doesn't want more NFL, more football, because when you think about it, why the hell did they add an 18th week then? The more football they could put out there, the better. Um, I think it's an so injury I, thing. My, I, would, I would think that they would give – uh, each team the ball at the opposing teams or at their own 40-yard line then force them to get one or two uh, first downs before you, uh, you know, and before you are enabled to score any points. Uh, the more football, the better. Untimed football outside of play clock. Who, who cares, right? Let, let's just get a, a defined winner. But each team has to touch the ball in overtime. It's utterly ridiculous that Josh Allen did not get a chance at a rebuttal to win that game. Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills were phenomenal in that game. They deserved it. It felt like a, I I don't even want to say what it felt like, but highway robbery, we'll just go with that. Um, It was just terrible. Uh, It left you with, a sad feeling in your stomach that Josh Allen didn't get a touch at the football in overtime. Let's, to, let's even bring I, let's I even did. bring this closer to home. It's wrong. Let's bring this even closer to home. Of you look at, I mean, we're gonna talk about Aaron Rodgers here pretty deep in the episode, but how many times did he lose playoff games without ch- touching the ball in overtime? He was, he loses a lot of playoff games, so I can't really count. He's five and four at Lambeau. I mean, that's all you really gotta say. I think. Fair enough, but you see my point, right? I'm just saying he's not very good in the playoffs. So I don't I don't even know if it matters. I think I said it last week. He's I think, a choke artist. I think he might be the jinx. Maybe. <laughs> Eric's looking for anyone to take <laughs> Eric's looking for anyone to take it from him. <laughs> Eric will pass it off to anybody. Now I do gotta ask, so this was a question proposed by 
actually Sean, uh, who's doing the Polar Plunge, one of our listeners and one of our unofficial team members at this point. So I want to ask you guys this. I kind of gave the, the teaser of Ramsey here. How would you guys feel? And I'm not saying that he was advocating for this one way or the other, but he asked me about it, and we had a pretty good conversation. How would you guys feel of the NFL kind of going to the college football playoff route? Of you take your 10 best teams or so and just seed them, kind of do like a selection. You, you still have your division winners, would kind of get in like an automatic berth, and then you can pick, you know, two teams at large, from one from each side or whatever, and do like an unconferenced seeding. I wanted to ask you guys your opinion on that too. I don't no. I don't hate that. I don't think I think it's an over simplification or something that we get the best matchup regardless. I think we I kinda of thought about soft air was that arguably the best two teams are still playing football right now. Arguably Kansas City is the best team in the AFC. Arguably the Rams are the best team in the NFC. They're still in. I, I don't the way Green Bay played over the weekend, they don't deserve to be there. The way Tampa Bay played, I mean, really, that game was four fumbles away from being 35-3. to Tampa Bay doesn't deserve to be there. Obviously, Tennessee sacked Joe Burrow nine times, couldn't stop him. I, I And, you know, we've kind of talked about this too, or I guess not we, I've talked about this. In reality, there's only about six teams that can actually win Super Bowl anyways. Sure. I, so I don't think it really matters who they play because the teams that are going to be the top six teams are usually there at the end anyways. Like, is there a t- I mean, San Francisco is probably a little bit of a surprise just for the fact of they had a losing record at one point this year. But I, I think the four best teams are probably still left. The six best teams are still playing this past weekend. Sure. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I think when you look at the, the football that was played this weekend, it was so good. Like all the way around, even Green Bay's 13 to 10 loss, that football game was a good football game, had you on the edge of your seat. I think if you reseed and, and you find yourself in, in games, you, you're going to get the blowouts. And this is what Ramsey's biggest argument would be in, in in college football, right? You're gonna get so many teams that aren't deserving to to be in that in that situation. Well no no, no. I'm not saying ten in each conference. I'm that. saying I'm saying you have your division winners, your four division winners. You have five ten teams total in the NFL. Yeah. But then you I have cross conference matchups. I agree with Ramsey. There's there's no, I don't I don't need to see like unless you're given the top six teams buys that win their division to the divisional round or whatever, and and the the back four have to play in to to get to the one seed, then maybe. But I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know that I agree. I guess I would. I don't know, I don't know that I like. I love the way it is now. Uh, I don't know that. I wish they would add a eighth team in each division, <sighs> and no teams got to buy. My Can we stop opinion. adding playoff teams? Can we just take another team away and go on to six and call it good? I don't disagree with that either. I don't. I don't this care for one, six. This no one buy. team gets a buy type of thing is. I don't like that. 
So I, I do kind of like the idea of just getting different matchups and not having to wait for, you know, looking back at, at you know, the last, let's say, 15 years of, you could have had like a Packers-Patriots matchup in the second weekend instead of having to have a Super Bowl. I kind of like that idea of not being restricted by the conferences. I I don't. I would like to see your best teams play overall. See, I w- I would say that I'm not sure if it would really make that big of a difference. In the grand scheme of things, probably. I just it was just a conver- you know conversation starter of right of maybe something to change up down the road. And I you know it's just tempting. You know, you look at this weekend. We had damn good football games. So this isn't like a knock on this weekend, but you look at like maybe the last weekend where. You look at you could have had a team like Pittsburgh and I don't know. I'm trying to think of who else kind of would have been that. Well, Pittsburgh would have played either Green Bay, Pittsburgh, or... Philadelphia, though. Even just hypothetically speaking. Yeah. That's a that no. I don't. I don't. Dis- like I said, I don't 100% disagree. I just I don't. I think that's a means to get where we're at right now. Like I said, I think the best six teams are still playing, and you're still getting. I, I think what Justin was kind of getting at was I think it might dilute your playoff rounds more so, because we got Kansas City, Buffalo in the divisional round, right? I get that we would, and as a whole, probably to see at the Super Bowl. However, you still get to see the matchup. It's just a matter of where it takes place. Well, even looking at last year, though, I mean, hypothetically, and and I I think that's my ultimate point of why I'm intrigued by it. I'm not saying yes or no, but I think it's an intriguing conversation because you look at arguably that could be your what ends up being probably the best game in the playoffs, could have been the Super Bowl, but it took place in the division weekend. Last year, look at how things played out and the fact that we're just limited by conference standards. Really, Green Bay, Tampa Bay was probably your Super Bowl last year. And how many games along the years... Do you have two of the top teams are in one conference? Hell, even looking growing up, we would have had so many different times of Patriots, Colts would have been your Super Bowl. Hypothetically speaking. And I think that would have been incredible to have witnessed that stage of that game instead of a birth to the Super Bowl. Not saying I'm for or against it, but I think that's an incredible conversation. to, If you look at hypothetically going backwards and what it could mean going forwards... I'd like to see it in the NBA first to see how that would work out, and then let the NFL try it. That's fair. That, I guess that would be my that'd be my statement. I, I would like to see the NBA do it first. If it works really well in the NBA, then the NFL could adapt it. Yeah, you know, there's the there's the part of me that says, you know, each one of these teams within within their own conferences have built themselves to beat those teams, right? So when you think about it, like, what if Major League Baseball were to do that? AL teams are built differently than NL teams, correct? Correct. For now, pending CBA. Right, right, right. I mean, if we have baseball ever again, it's not really a guarantee at this point. Can we not rub salt in Eric's wounds this week? Yeah, let's hope not. (laughs) Let's Let's hope hope that it's... Let's hope the CBA Done cuts forever. spring training baseball. All right, all right. Let's just keep kicking them yes. all down. Totally. Agree. That's what I hope. I hope the CBA. Anyway, I hope the first thing the owners go is, "Hey, you know that spring training baseball? Yeah, that crap sucks. Let's get away from that." Anyway, 
you were saying, Justin? I just uh, I don't think it works for the NFL. I agree that it might work for the NBA. I think it might. It, I think it would work probably better for uh, Major League Baseball. But the NFL teams are built so much to be like the Packers. They have built themselves to become a more physical football team because they got boat raced against San Francisco two years ago, right? They have put a, a hearty effort into um, making themselves a more physical football team to beat that football team. And I don't think anywhere else or in any other sport you build yourself or you you build your personnel the way that football does to beat um, your opponent. Does that make sense? For sure, but almost doesn't that almost make it a better argument of why you should do it for more parity? There's no such thing as parity. We've been over that before. There's the NFL. People think there's parity in the NFL. There's not. Look at even the games this last week. None of the teams. These games were all what two and a half point spreads. Green Bay was a six point spread. But... Okay, outside of Green Bay, but even um... go back to the wild card weekend. Oh, I'm sorry, super wild card weekend. All these teams are the teams that got blown out. Got blown out. The teams that are better moved on. We had just talked about. It. There's only six teams in the NFL at any given time that can actually win a Super Bowl. Like Cincinnati might be able to beat Kansas City this weekend, but Cincinnati's not going to be able to beat a team like LA or San Francisco. They match up terrible against them, especially with how bad ten or Cincinnati's offensive line is. So you start playing a team that gives, like, the Rams, that give teams with really good offensive lines headaches, it's going to be, what was that, the Broncos, Panthers all over again. Not so, necessarily, because if you have to build to beat anybody versus, like, so let's just say, let's look at what Justin said and what you guys said about Green Bay. Green Bay had to get more physical to beat San Francisco and beat Tampa Bay because they weren't physical enough. Well, if you have to build, instead of building to beat two teams, you have to build to beat any team. Well, see, I don't think that's true either. And I will say this about the NFL and what, where we were kind of at as a whole. The more physical teams have been winning pretty much consistently across the board. Like Kansas City, say what you will, but they were slightly more physical than Buffalo was. And Cincinnati was more physical than Tennessee. San Francisco was more physical than Green Bay. Physical teams are winning across the board. So that's kind of a blanket statement for the NFL right. of physicality wins. And it's kind of become that point with how finesse the game has got, where we have a lot of finesse receivers. The defensive backs have gotten smaller. Linebackers have gotten smaller. Linemen have gotten smaller. And the big physical teams are going through and winning. That's how it's always been. And like I said, in the NFL, there's football in general. There's no such thing as parity because talent wins. Whatever team has more talent normally comes out ahead. Outside of a team like Green Bay, who might have had some interesting turn of events. Why don't you on that there? And what? See that segue into the Packer doc? Well, we we had some other things to talk first. Oh, Ramsey, you don't want to go there. <laughs> no, we got we got to talk about the Badgers. We got some other stuff before we get there, but I mean, you already said we're forty five minutes in. 
I don't think we need to talk about the Bucks or the Badgers. We definitely do not need to talk about the Bucks. There is an important rumor that we do need to talk about with the Wisconsin Badgers, though. I would love to hear it. Oh, Christ's sakes. And that is the possibility of one Caleb Williams transferring to Wisconsin. Why? It's been buzzing. Caleb Williams is not coming to Wisconsin. I'm just saying there's The kid rumors. from Oklahoma? Yeah. No. There's there's rumor there's rumblings. Why would he want to come to play for our one dimensional offense? <clears throat> I'm not his top okay, so here it is. His top three as of rumor now are LSU, USC, and Wisconsin. Wisconsin apparently is very much into it. Uh he has to make this decision quick, obviously for semester reasons. Isn't that the kid that um, said he was staying in Oklahoma? He entered the transfer portal. He threw 21 touchdowns to four interceptions last year for 1,900 yards. He, he's a stud. Um, he's he was in in the rivals' uh, all-time rankings ever since they started doing it. God knows when. He is the 102nd highest-rated recruit to ever be rated by rivals uh, coming out of high school. Um, the the gist of what is the rumors are based on is he his family apparently is close to Russell Wilson's family. His family is also very apparently close to Bobby Ingram, who is rumored and some reports have as accepted, but going through formality of being Wisconsin's new offensive coordinator, Bobby Ingram. You might remember the name as a former great wide receiver for Penn state. His son is a cornerback for the Badgers. There is connections that lead him to the Badgers. Ultimately, whether this really happens whether they really believe their number one worry for Caleb Williams is getting him ready for the NFL, an NFL pro-style system. Um, there are some that think that Wisconsin could get him ready for that, Russell Wilson being the example. So the rumors are very true. But whether he comes or not, I, I I would lean on the fence of he's going back to USC. Can can we just talk about Russell Wilson for just a second though? Like Russell Wilson was already a made man before he got to Wisconsin. He wasn't the same level though either. He was though. NC State. He was going into his senior year at NC State. He was on the same conversations as he was now, third round draft pick. It just happened to be that he flourished in the NFL, yeah. and I'm sure the some highly some more highly touted games in college and hurt because Wisconsin's obviously a bigger program than NC State. But as a senior, you're not going to change your entire well, game in an offseason. Here's the thing to remember, though, that Ramsey, that kind of gets washed away and forgotten, is the fact that he was, at the time, still considering a pro baseball career where he had been in spring training two years in a row. And the fact that he had to go or that he chose to go to a school like Wisconsin and, like Justin said, go to that pro style to show he could play it too as opposed to the spread in NC State as well and ultimately ends up choosing football over baseball I think can't be understated 
I would say there's a chance, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't give that chance a mighty high chance. Now I do want to ask you, Justin, just because we didn't have you on last week, um, and not. I mean, we talked. You know, Badgers kind of end up falling a spot here in the rankings after the loss to Michigan State. But back to Badger football, we didn't really have a whole lot of information about the two UCLA transfers. What do you got on them? Uh, the wide receiver out of East St. Louis was a was a big time recruit. Um, the Badgers did offer him, but they he they were never really on his radar coming out of high school. Um, big guy, big, tall, six three, well, almost two hundred pounds. He, he's going to have three years of eligibility to come. Um, in the in the. Um, the cornerback, I believe, was the second team all Pac-12 um, during his uh, l- during last year. I don't. He's got. He's going to come in as a grad transfer, so he's got just the one year of eligibility. Um, they did pick up another transfer uh, in Cedric Dort out of Kentucky. He was a second team all SEC, I believe. So. Uh, he he's a grad transfer also, so they've built the depth back up um, after losing their starting two um, cornerbacks off of this roster. Be interesting to see uh, how how fast they can. They've lost their whole starting back four, and and they're really young in in filling that. So see, you got some old guys mixed with some young guys. And, be uh interesting to see what the what the uh starting lineup's going to be next year. All right, good stuff. And then one last piece of of conversation here before we talk about this uh past weekend with the Green Bay Packers and the season coming to an end. We got to go through our betting segment which had initially been known as Ramsey's Radar, which really has kind of taken on its life of its own. Uh, Ramsey, if you have any hot takes about non-betting things, if you want to get one off your chest here while I get the records up. Nope. All right, fair enough. So entering the week, as we came into this last episode, after episode 58, uh, myself, I was at 7-4. and four. Justin, you were at 4-7. and seven. Ramsey was at 3-1-1. One one. Uh, after this week, the before we kind of break down the games here, uh, Ramsey is now at five, three, and one, Boom. and then Justin, you and I are tied at seven and eight. Uh, not a good weekend for your Ooh, truly. I caught up. And I caught up. It, All right. The Jinx had a rough week. Ugh. Yeah, you're not the. You know, there's the guy, the Schwam, the the Schwami. You're the Jinxy. You're you're the Jinx guy, Eric. You're bad. Whatever. <laughs> quit quit Whatever. picking Wisconsin sports. This wasn't even just Wisconsin. It just it was not a good weekend. You're going through a little bit of a slump. The fact that for the first time, (laughs) three out of four home teams and the favorites lost in games cannot be understated. Should have been four out of four. NFL history happened this weekend, and I was on the wrong side of it. My bad. So with that, uh, just to kind of recap, we had Titans favored by three and a half. I was on the Titans. You both took the Bengals. Bengals went out right. Who they? Who they? Rams versus Bucks. Rams and I were both on the Bucks. Justin, you had the Rams. And Justin advances there too. 
Chiefs favored by two. Rams and I both on team Bills. Justin took the Chiefs. I do got to say, a little bit of contrarianism, I think, here happened. I think Justin was not in the moment with us and made his picks after the episode was recorded and knew our picks already. So I do got to say that I think there's a little bit of tomfoolery going on here. And then Packers, Niners. Um, I had, Justin and I had both had the Packers to cover. Ramsey took the 49ers to cover, but Packers to win on the money line. I'm going to still give him the win for the cover. I also took the under the 55, so I think I deserve the 49ers play. I'm going to give you the credit for it. We don't do, we don't do over-unders technically for, for this purpose. But I gave you the over-under. So if you listen to Ramsey. Last week, you would have made some money. You would have made some money. That's all, that's all I'm saying. So with that, we look at the two NFL games, and then technically, because I guess betting is kind of stupid, um, for trying to plan a podcast around, or podcast segment four, uh, we're just going to do some outright picks that do not have spreads on them, because screw Eric's podcast and the, the Root for Wisconsin podcast, and Eric's segment of trying to plan for something. I mean, we can probably handicap ourselves if we really want to. I mean, probably, but anyway. So we start with the NFL. Uh, conference championship weekend here. And we'll go in order of the games that they're going to be played. We're going to look at that being the N- the AFC game is first. Is that correct, Justin? No clue. Uh, some help you guys are. Once again, <laughs> got to do no all clue. the work and here, all the planning. I'll give you a hot take. Josh Allen and Patrick I'm Mahomes sure. changed the way the NFL will be played going forward. Josh Allen is the best quarterback in the league, and I don't think it's that close. Whoa. There's a hot take. There's a steaming hot take. There's a big, stinky, steamy pile of, of hot take. take right there. There you go. He oh, hot my takes. goodness. Josh Allen is the best quarterback in the Ramsey is jumping off his Tom Brady train. This is uh, I can't I can't believe I'm hearing what I'm hearing through my headphones right now. Josh Allen Unreal. has done something that I don't think we've ever seen from a quarterback. A dude that is throwing a ball down the field at a, uh, on a rope. And then trucking defensive backs. Like, there's not a quarterback in the league that's been able to do that at that kind of level. Ben Roethlisberger. Not, there will be in two years. Ben Roethlisberger did not have the arm that Josh Allen does. That's not even close. Still won two Super Bowls. Though. Or the speed. Or the running ability. Yeah, Ben, ben and Josh Allen that. are not the same. No way. Just saying. If we want to go over trucking DBs, I mean. That's the only part you listen to is just the truck and DBs. No. Downfield cannon. I think people, and I, I, I'm going to go on record. I think people are going to really remember how good young Ben Roethlisberger was in about five years. Oh, when years. he was sexually molesting the chicks in the bathroom? Hey. That guy? Sure. The, old, the greatest thing about Ben Roethlisberger, and this is, what, this is what you're alluding to, but nobody ever says this. It's his pocket presence and the way he kept plays alive within the pocket he was never a runner like he never like he, i bet you he probably has less than 500 yards rushing in his whole career i'll look that his up pocket presence and his ability to keep a play alive is was uncanny and really during his prime 
second to none, to be honest with you. Like I said, Wouldn't I think... Would you say that, Ramsey? I would say that in the NFL, there's been an evolution of quarterbacks. There's been two in the last 20 years. And Ben Roethlisberger, and I would even throw the tail end of Brett Favre, they kind of had a little bit of a gunslinger trait to them. And then you had the guys like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning who played it a lot more academic. And now you're seeing it where the arm talent that some of these young AFC quarterbacks have is we've never seen that before. Like we've never seen a quarterback be able to score in 13 seconds. We've never seen a quarterback, like I said, extending plays, running over defensive backs, throwing balls 70 yards down the field with no effort. It's just, uh, it's a, it's an awesome time to be a football fan because we're going to get to see Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen a few more times. And you also have Justin Herbert out west. You have um, Joey Bur- Burrow. Is, Joe Burrow. He's announcing. And, man, how cool is Joe Burrow? Like, he he might be the coolest guy in the league. smoking cigars. Yeah, no, he's, 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 he's awesome. For the record, by the way, Ben Roethlisberger's career rushing yards, 515 carries for 1,300 yards. In what, 20 years? So, like... 18 20, years? So two point something yards per carry. Something like that, yeah. His average per run was 2.7. Look at Justin with that math. God damn it, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> nice job, bud. I'm proud of you. I, that's, uh, that's, some, that's some quick math. His career long was 31 yards. Really? I would I would have guessed it would have been less than that. And he's, he finished with 20 rushing touchdowns. Yeah, he was a diesel truck, that's for sure. Yeah. Five. I bet you 19 of those, 19 of those were on quarterback sneaks at the goal line. Very well could have been. Um, he also got sacked 554 times, which is an NFL oh record. Oh, my God. <laughs> Until Joe Burrow that's gets unreal. there. Give, Drew, give Joe Burrow two more years and he'll be right there. Yeah. He lost. Holy God, how bad is that offensive line? Huh? He lost 3,677 yards in sacks. So he double his yards gained by rushing. Yeah. Fun, wow. fun stats here. Anyway, back to the picks. Uh, so as I mentioned, yes, the AFC game is first. Cincinnati, Kansas City. Kansas City is a seven-point favorite at home. See, this one I've had a hard time with because part of me, Kansas City is the obvious pick, right? But I, I just I hate betting against Joe Burrow because he's he has that little bit of that Tom Brady trait where he's big time. He's, he's big time. He shows Joe. up. I just don't think his offensive line is quite there. I, I just I don't see I don't see Kansas City allowing. If you have nine sacks playing Kansas City, they're going to score a lot more than sixteen points. So I'm going to take Kansas City. I don't. I would not bet this game. I'd put it that way. If I was putting. If I was going to the United Sports Book today, I would not be betting on this game. Cincinnati's a plus two seventy six money line. <laughs> really making Ramsey. You got me back in. Conditions. You got me back in. <laughs> I was out, but you reeled me right back in. Man. No, there's no way there's no way that uh that Patty Mahomes is gonna throw three interceptions. 
um, and, and put. Are you sure about put, that though? Uh, no. No. I you know well, I give me give me the Chiefs. I would love to bet Cincinnati. I just don't think their offensive line is quite good enough today. No. If we're betting against the spread, I'll take I'll take Cincinnati in the spread. Yeah, we do we do bet against the spread, Justin. So you're gonna say Cincinnati covers seven? Yep. That's a lot of points. I think I'm gonna go Cincinnati covers as well. You're just trying to time me to stay close. That's all you you just wanna stay. Don't jinx me, Eric. Get off my I'm changing mine. I'm changing mine. Now you're locked I'll in. I'll go with the Chiefs then. You're locked in. <laughs> you if it makes Jason, if, son of a bitch. If it makes you guys feel better, I want to bet Cincinnati. I just don't see it happening where I, I don't think the offensive line for Cincinnati is good enough to stop Kansas City. And that's just what it's all there's boils no doubt about to. it. It's not. And that so I would have to say that there's no way that Cincinnati can overcome those issues. Not this weekend. Last weekend, sure, especially going against Tennessee, who's somewhat limited offensively. But I don't like that. I want to bet Cincinnati, but I have to take Kansas City. All right, so me and Ramsey are on Kansas City. No, 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 no. You are on Cincinnati. No, you're a jinxed son of a bitch. Get off my back. We have three of us. I, I have to pick one team, Justin. This is you made your bed with it. <laughs> well, then I want to go last next pick because I'm going completely opposite of your. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. The thanks I get for this this uh, this show. Uh, all right. So then we go to the the NFC Championship game. Uh, that being San Francisco, L.A. The Rams are a three and a half point favorite, minus one ninety on the money line. So obviously, we, like I said, we go against the spread. So three and a half points, Rams favorite. Rims, did you go first last time? I did go first. I go first again. I'll go first because I don't want Justin to be too too upset here. I'm gonna go Rams. Pretty simple. I think. Oh, I, think... I was gonna pick the Rams. Oh no. Oh damn. No, I I think this one's pretty. Open and shut. I think San Francisco has improved so much defensively, but I think I think LA's really got it figured out right now. I think Matt Stafford and that offense really got something special going on. I really wanna I don't I'm really torn on this one personally, like on, on how I want to see it play out. Cause I kinda I don't really want to see the Rams get rewarded with picking up all these aging veterans like OBJ and, and Von Miller and and get all these big names, but at the same time, I gotta go with what I think too. And I, I just think they they are too good right now. And they're really on one. So give me the Rams minus three and a half. Ramsey, give me the Rams. They, I don't think that you if so. Let's be honest, with San Francisco, right? Really, they were fortunate that Mike McCarthy had a terrible play call. Kellen Moore, Mike McCarthy signed off on it, had a terrible play call at the end of the Dallas game. Not saying that they would have scored necessarily, but it was poorly managed by the Cowboys. And let's be let's call a spade a spade against Green Bay. It was poorly managed by Green Bay. 
So I think Sanford, you can't... Cinderella's going to strike midnight here. Yeah, it's the same thing as one of those, you know, 12 seeds in the tournament. You you can win a couple games and you can get lucky two or three times in a row. But as soon as it comes to when push comes to shove, you're going to have to have Jimmy Garoppolo make a few plays. And I don't necessarily know if he's capable of doing that in a big spot. Again. And that defense... So the thing with the San Francisco team, too... This defense isn't the same defense that it was a few years ago when you had um, the Forrest Buckner, Eric Armstrong, Joey Bosa, um, that linebacking core, your defensive backs were a lot better. This is kind of a watered-down version of that defense, and it's not just as... You're going to need a little more than that to stop the Rams right now, I think. Justin, what do you think there, yeah, buddy? Give me give me give me the San Francisco football 49ers in this one, guys. I think the defense is outstanding. I think the pressure that they can create up front is uh twofold uh compared to any team that they faced. I think you've got a team that has um the Rams number. Um they are the kryptonite for the Rams, uh, the 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 run game um, is is impeccable here. I I've got I've got uh, the 49ers to uh, to win this one big. Give give me the 49ers by ten. I would I would say this, Justin, and I I one thing I don't think you hit on. I definitely like. Kyle Shanahan better than Sean McVay. I think Sean. No I think Kyle Sean Shanahan McVay, is a big, big time coach. I think Kyle Shanahan. You could. I, he might be the best coach in the league right now. He has figured out a way to get the most out of this offense and roster, and not necessarily be the most talented. Do you know what I mean? Like I'll put. I'll, I'll agree with you. I'll put it to you this way. If Bill Belichick wasn't in the NFL, there's no doubt in anybody's mind that Kyle Shanahan isn't the best coach in the NFL. I think Andy Reid still might have him by a hair. And I think uh, McDermott from Buffalo might you, be if, better. If you, but it's... If, you swap, if you swap the talent levels on any of those teams, there, I don't think there's another coach in the NFL that is going to get the most out of the talent level that Kyle Shanahan has, especially on offense, which especially on offense. in general too. That's why they drafted Trey Lance. Like we talk about getting it right at quarterback. They obviously knew Jimmy Garoppolo was limited. He had a limited ceiling and you, everyone saw over the weekend at this point, you cannot have limited ceiling and win playoff games. I guess outside of the Green Bay Packers, long story short, you have to have a, top-level quarterback to win the league right now. So imagine Kyle Shanahan if Trey Lance turns out to be what we think he can be. I mean, it's that's going to be a scary combination mm-hmm. for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's amazing to me wh- how you're going to go into the offseason knowing that you're going to get rid of a quarterback if you make if you make the Super Bowl, hell, if you win the if you win the Super Bowl, it's probably easier to get rid of the quarterback, right? Because Yeah. 
you've already got the Super Bowl. You can move on from it and start anew and save the money and, and move on. 100%. Um, and try to build around. But if you make the Super Bowl and you lose and you're going to lose this guy, doesn't that make it worse? Like, it makes it harder to move on from Garoppolo. See, I don't think so. I think that it's Trey Lance's team next year. We've already kind of seen... Um... We've kind of already seen the flashes of Trey Lance of being hyper-athletic and having a superior arm talent to Jimmy Garoppolo. And not that I, I'm a Jimmy Garoppolo supporter. I, I've always, I always have been. I think that he's better than what people give him credit for. But at the end of the day, he's, he's injury-prone. Injury-prone and athletically limited. So it is what it is. All right, so now we got to get a little creative here. Um, because there's only two football games to pick from, I, I do like having you know multiple games to pick aside from just the two. Um, so we are going to, since there's no spreads available uh, on these games, because the NBA and the NCAA hate me, apparently, and don't want to put spreads out a day in advance, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to pick two games here. Uh, that are going to happen relatively soon. And see, you know, I think we're just going to do money line kind of pickums, And we'll use that for now until we maybe get some better odds and websites and whatnot. But that said, uh, we're going to go Bucks Cavaliers for Wednesday night's contest. Bucks are in Cleveland. Justin. What's the spread on that, Eric? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let me give you some let me give you some information here so this is what i'm looking at from espn here's their bottom line bucks visit the cavaliers Giannis is scoring fourth in the league averaging 28.6 per game cavaliers are 16 and 10 in the eastern conference are by second in the league allowing just 102.3 points uh holding opponents to 44.2 percent shooting the bucks are seven and two against opponents in the central division and Giannis is the, or the Milwaukee Bucks are the Eastern Conference leader with 36.8 defensive rebounds. Third time they're playing this season. Last time they played was December 19th, where the Cavaliers won 119-90 uh, with 23 points from City Osman. And Jordan Arawa was the leading scorer for the Bucks with 28. Give me the Bucks. Give me the Bucks. I'm going to go Cavaliers. Screw both of you. And then the other game, again, because there's no spread on this, uh, we're going to go the Badgers versus Minnesota on Sunday. Give me the Badgers. 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 All right. <laughs> I can't wait for the USFL. I know, right? Makes it a lot, it'll make it a lot easier on, on Dude, wasn't it a couple episodes... A couple episodes ago, you were just hating on the USFL. What's your problem? Because we need something for the betting segment. It's true. Let's be honest. I don't think any of us really want to bet NBA basketball. That's not regular season if, basketball. If yeah, if that's true degeneracy right there. Like that. <laughs> that might be a little too past where I feel comfortable. That might be to the help stage. Yeah. Okay. That's all I'm saying. That's fair. Okay. So, with that, I guess there's really nothing else to talk about except for the Green Bay Packers uh, season coming to an end. You just want to talk about this next week? It's tempting, honestly. 
but well, actually, I guess we could take one other conversation of uh, just looking at Sean Payton deciding to hang it up for the Saints after 16 years being there. He's gonna show up in Dallas. He's got it right. You watch. I'm gonna fight her. Awesome, McCarthy's gonna be out. And... I tell you what, that'd be that'd be scary. Um. So how that works? They, the the Saints still own his rights for like three years. I don't think he actually retired, did he? So they they would have. I thought to... he just resigned. Yeah, I think he just stepped down. No. He might. It's saying that he resigned. They still own his rights. They still own his rights. So that whatever team would go after him would still have to pay a compensation package to the Saints for his rights. All of a sudden, he shows up at uh, Notre Dame. <laughs> right. Notre Dame just backs up the fucking... Just gives him the company credit card. Hey, whatever it takes, bud. <laughs> I Yeah, I don't... I guess I don't know how that works, but... I have a hard time believing this is the last we see of Sean Payton. Oh, definitely same. He says his whole quote, though. He, he's, a, he's 58. He's, he's potentially got he's, every major TV market that is broadcasting NFL football has um, gone after him and attempted to hire him. So, And, and when you see guys like Tony Romo... Um, and Peyton Manning and with the contracts that they're getting offered, Drew Brees, the contract that they're getting offered um, to broadcast football, it's pretty easy to see why anybody would jump at that opportunity to, you know, Tony Romo's making, what, $19 million a year? I just... Not, uh, that's more than he's ever made as a head coach. I think that he he's one of those guys that I think is going to have a hard time stepping away and not coaching, especially when he's that young. And he might and he might just walk away and be like, I've accomplished what I want to and I'm done. I just have a hard time believing that that's... Uh... How young do you think he is? Didn't you say he's 58? Yeah, 58. I'm just curious. I mean, you've got oh. a lot of coaches in their 60s, 70s right now. Sure. That's what I'm saying. I, I think that he could theoretically coach for another 20 years if he wanted to. I I, I guess I don't know what... I, I'm not a Sean Payton expert. I just have... From what I know of him, he seems like a football guy. And those guys have a hard time hanging it up. Yeah. He, I would go the TV route in a heartbeat. Less work, less stress, less... All of it. I would I would as well, and I don't More think money. you're wrong there, Justin. I just think that, like I said, those football guys, sometimes they just can't let it go. That's what the Urban Meyer thing is. The Urban Meyer, you know, retires, unretires every other year, kicks some players. He'll be back on TV in a few weeks. <laughs> Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. In a bar. <laughs> with co-eds oh no was she a co-ed oh maybe she was just an ed <laughs> <laughs> anyway oh. so kind of avoiding the elephant in the room uh, Packer season comes to a tragic end I got all sorts of thoughts on this by the way 
I guess I where do you want to start guys? I I really don't know where to even begin. Um, I would like to start here and I'm we're going to start here because I think that Green Bay needs to relax for a second. This team is not going to go into a full rebuild. Yep. It, regardless if Aaron's back next year or not, I was you know as I do, I think about the Packers, and I'm like, you know, even with Jordan Love, I would say at worst-case scenario, Jordan Love is 60% of Aaron Rodgers. I would say Aaron Rodgers is worth eight games. So that means Jordan Love is worth somewhere around three to four, and I believe this is at least an eight-win roster. I believe they are a playoff team, if not in contention for the NFC North, even with Jordan Love, who I'm not a huge fan of. I think that... So even if Aaron decides to hang it up or if Aaron decides he wants out and get traded, Aaron's going to get three or four first-round picks. He's So you're going to add the roster that we currently have. Plus and you're probably getting talent back too. Talent and picks. You're gonna, Green Bay will be fine. It's not, this isn't the you know, 60s going into the 80s where we're looking at a decade of down. They're too competently run. They are... I'm not a huge Matt LaFleur fan, but for what it's worth, I do think the guy can coach. I think that he can get the best out of his players when he needs to. So Green Bay will continue to be competitive. They might not be Super Bowl bubble team, but I don't think they're going to be the Lions either. So everyone in Green Bay just needs to relax. I, I think Aaron in general is going to be back. I think that they're going to run it back again. I just let's all stop and just put some of the rumors to bed i don't think that anything drastic is going to change justin well i i mean i i agree that we need to take a breath take a step back and but then don't let that breath take very long because there's that big cap number of 44.9 million over the cap we currently are uh, today, so um, there are some there are some factors that will go into it as uh, what the cap ends up going up to, um, what we can get done with Aaron Rodgers, what type of deal we've got to do with Devontae, and the biggest contract that I think we've got to look at, in my estimation, uh, and it's sad because this year is pretty much proved it but do we really need to be paying a left tackle 20 million dollars yes. a year 100 percent um you think we do yes we can do that in a second mm-hmm. um just remember that the rams are paying jared goff still so everyone that's always that starts with that cap number the rams are playing in the same league that we are and they're paying matt stafford this year what 20 million i believe and they're also playing Jared Goff $20 million. So you have $20 million in dead cap on that Rams team, and they're able to acquire talent at will. So that cap number in general can be manipulated a lot if you're willing to mortgage your future a little bit. And to this point, even going off last year, Green Bay was willing to mortgage their future going forward. I, In my estimation, Justin, yeah. so going back to the David Bakhtiari thing, David Bakhtiari did not play on Sunday or Saturday night. I truly believe that was a big difference because I think the two best players on the field on Sunday were Joey Bose and Fred Warner. And I just, 
I, I have a hard time believing that there wouldn't have been a slightly better outcome if David Bakhtiar is playing. Yeah, you know, Eric? I'm going to go a couple things here while we're having this conversation. So first and foremost, I do agree with both of you of let's take a second and let the season digest a second. Yes, it sucks that we're not playing next week. And I think a lot of us as fans and as analysts even, you know, I'll, I'll count on all three of us as analysts. It was so easy to look at that six-point spread and, and kind of have some some bias with the Packers and, and say, yep, by all means, they should win this game. But at the same time, Green Bay got caught, kind of got caught slipping in the sense of they've had a lot of things that winning has covered up this year, specifically that patchwork offensive line. And we kind of got caught with our pants down in the sense that I think in that game, whether due to injury or just kind of making picks, that there was three different rotations of three different sets of offensive line being used in that game on Saturday. And... I think just the consistency element um, and the, the fact that they didn't use Yash Nijman also kind of surprises me uh, that they were that confident in Billy Turner at left tackle when he struggled there in the NFC Championship game last year. He hadn't played that all year. Instead of going with the guy who's played that spot in the lineup, you move Lucas Patrick to guard and you just made, and then you have Dennis Kelly who struggled that tackle as well. Instead of putting Billy Turner in his kind of natural position at right tackle and then using what you've used to get there, it just kind of, I guess, baffled me in that sense. Uh, but like I said, I think they just kind of got caught. And, you know, this the other element was that Green Bay, um, you know, say what you will about the coordinator because you do need to, to um, you know, for special teams, you need to come out and execute it. But at the same time, when you're playing guys like Tyler Lancaster on your field goal unit as your one of your up backs, and that's the guy who leads, ends up getting uh, exposed and gets the field goal blocked. And then the element of getting that punt blocked, um, I believe was, I can't remember who it was. I believe it was uh, Tyler Davis, the tight end, just got exposed. So you have guys who are kind of playing out of position the way it is on special teams, just kind of get a patchwork guy, you know, team out there. Ultimately was the big swing. Another thing, um, that happened, or well, I guess we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna go. I think after taking a couple of days to digest the game, and also uh, hearing what Aaron Rodgers said on Pat McAfee today. First and foremost, Packer fans, y'all need to chill. I think there's a lot of things we'll talk about here as the segment goes on. Um, that needs to get people just chill out a little bit. I think we'll discuss Aaron Rodgers' future here pretty deeply, but I, I think the team's going to be okay, and I think you can get really creative with some of these contracts. Like The team is in position where, yes, you'll have to make a couple cuts, but I think you can get creative with some of these contracts, mm -hmm. and like Ramsey said, you've got a lot of money that you can reallocate and turn into some longer deals with guys who probably deserve it. I mean, even if you want to start with, with 12... You could probably give him a two or three year extension if that's the way that you know that they ultimately end up going, even four years, because I think you know yes, you could probably get to the playoffs with Jordan Love as the roster's mostly constructed now. Should you end up having to trade Aaron if that's what he ultimately would desire, or if he steps away, and like I said, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But 
ultimately speaking, I think you can get creative, and I think this team is going to be fine, at least for 2022, if not the next couple years beyond that. So, yeah, I guess that's my first parting thoughts of the game. I had to put one asterisk. I said Joey Bosa. I was referring to Nick Bosa. I apologize to the loyal fan base. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be interesting. It's obviously going to be the uh, off-season topic. I, I don't think that Aaron is going to draw this out um, very long, judging by from what he said. He's going to digest this probably until after the Super Bowl, and, and then they're going to make some real hard uh, communications on when the new league year starts. And I, I'm excited to see that this is, you know, for a guy that it interests me what they're going to do with this cap stuff, who they're going to let go, what type of moves they think they can make. How many, you know, how many of these guys could we possibly trade to to get draft capital um, in the end, you know, um, kind of recoup. But, you know, you think about it logically, there's some guys like you're paying – Kevin King, $6 million to be your fourth cornerback this year. That obviously, that money is going to be reallocated to either Devondre Campbell or to Rasul Douglas because there's no doubt about it. You have to keep those two guys and they don't, they're not going to cost you that much money. Um, so, and, and they were just, they've had stellar seasons. Um, so, uh, I think the big, one of the biggest things deep. Defensively, we need to find another defensive tackle, a defensive stalwart in the middle to allow Kenny uh, Clark to rush the passer more as more of a rushing tackle instead of a, a run-stuffing tackle. I don't think he fits that that uh, philosophy. Um, be interested to see what their thought process is. This is the fun time of the year, you know, from here until our draft day party, guys when we hold it and I'm excited. Yeah. I I think I got to say one thing and, and this has been bothering me, I guess for the last three days since the game took place. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Green Bay Packer fans are toxic as shit, especially after a big loss. And I I guess I'm not surprised in the long run, but I'm also really surprised. And I, cause I've talked about this at length on this podcast as well as, how quick everyone is to try to run Aaron Rodgers out of town is just baffling to me. And in one element, I get it. You know, we're all we're all upset about the game, um, and, and whatnot. And he's kind of been his futures in in flux anyway. But I don't really think people appreciate how rare of a talent that that he is at the quarterback position and what he actually brings to that team. I would also like to say, jumping on that Packers toxic fan thing, it, it's kind of sad because in general, Packer fans are extremely pleasant people. Like when you when you are at a Packers game or you are in the stadium district or the Titletown district and you're talking to other Packer fans, in general, they are a wonderful group of people. It's a shame, though, that, you know, I'm sure the players are also disappointed day after and they're getting shit-talked on Twitter. Like, that's not 
we can't do that. That's just bad on Packer fans. Like, I get you might be upset at a player, but in general, it's not it's not Aaron Rodgers' fault that there was a blocked punt that ended up going for a touchdown. Like, relax their players. At the end of the day, it's a game. And we sometimes, I think, lose sight of the fact that there are, you know, those are people, not just your personal whipping bags you're upset about a game. Hey, I would have totally agreed that uh, us as, as uh, Packer fans are, uh, you know, include yourself in that a little bit. <laughs> you know, you you get so pissed off. It's it's a rarity for us to lose in over 30 years. We've never known much different. Yeah, uh, I'm more talking about the people say, that are going on Twitter for, like, death know? threats and stuff. Like, that's not... Oh, that's bullshit. That, that's, that's more bullshit. what I'm referring Most to. people... Players deserve criticism, but we don't necessarily need to go on Twitter and threaten lives and stuff. That's where... Oh, definitely agree. That's I, what I was referring to more so. Than I think my ultimate point, though, is just, like I said, you know, Aaron Rodgers is a very controversial figure. You take, you know, what he says politically and, and so, you know, looking at society, you're either going to agree with him or not. You know, that's end of the day what's going to happen. But what he brings to the quarterback position is better than what you're going to get from almost anybody else maybe two or three guys and those guys aren't going to get let go by their teams either. And if you if you take yourself as a fan so damn seriously that you're ultimately caring about this team and what's best for, I I just don't get why you want to run a guy out of town again after last season, you know, last off season where you know, you're bitching and bitching and bitching about how he wasn't making a decision, he wasn't talking about these rumors. Then he comes back and you love him for 4 months, 5 months, whatever. And then it's right back to the dumpster as soon as the season's done when it doesn't go the way you want it to go. I, I just don't get it. And I've said before, I think Aaron Rodgers is probably one of the most hated members of his own team by his own fan base. And in some aspects, I get it. You know, he's he's the California guy, and he's replacing the guy who was kind of like your buddy in Brad Favre. But I, if you care about this team winning, I, I just I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt you got to bring Aaron Rodgers back. You, we've got to do everything we can to do bring Aaron Rodgers back, and uh, you know, you don't want the story to end. But I could see how people are uh, a little tired of of the act and and um, what that means in the playoffs. And at at some point. Aaron has to look at it and take the blame himself. It's not like this year was, what, what do they call it, the final dance or whatever? The last dance. The the oh. Yeah. The, the Packers bent over backwards for this guy and and gave him the, the stuff he wanted and, and the, the personnel he wanted. And you know, to find time to uh, not – not really perform up to his best. I'm going to say this, and this is something I was, I, I know I alluded to earlier. I think the patchwork offensive line does not, I mean, they got us to where we were, and, you know, that's incredible in the front office for getting guys to fit in, and the coaching staff to, you know, get guys to to this point of where we did. Uh, but I do think uh, it was ultimately going to be their one of their demises. The other thing I want to say, and, and I love what I'm about, and I, I hate the fact that I have to say what I'm about to say, 
because I'm a big fan of this player. I'm amazed at how the last two years, how much of a a pass Aaron Jones has gotten. And and this is not Aaron anti Aaron Jones talk. I I love Aaron Jones. He's an incredible football player. I wanted him back at almost all costs last offseason. You can hear my my talk about that on these early episodes of the podcast. I have his signed jersey hanging next to me. One of the coolest people I've ever gotten to interview, talk to, nice human being as a general. But with that said, if you're going to direct your blame at somebody, these last two seasons specifically, you look at last year, and last year's NFC Championship, there's a lot of dumpster fires going on. It's easy to blame the referees. It's easy to blame Kevin King, which I still do immensely. But coming out of halftime, I believe it was like the second play of the of the second half. Packers are backed up, I believe, at like this 20-yard line or 15-yard line, something like that. Aaron Jones gets popped, fumbles the ball, leads directly to another seven points. Considering the events of the second half, or the begin end of the second or the end of the first half, excuse me, with the interception that led to the Scotty Miller touchdown, and then that fumble, that's a 14-point swing in that game. You look at this week, this year against San Francisco. Aaron Jones catches that wheel route pass, and instead of trying to get out of bounds or trying to score, ends up cutting back up and in, into the playing field. Green Bay has to use their last timeout to get a field goal off instead of trying to spot the ball and spike the ball. Kick gets blocked, three point swing ends up being a ten point swing with special teams. So, is Aaron Jones less at fault this year than last year? Sure. I mean, it was one play. But also at that point in the game, if you can put a shot in the end zone, maybe two, that's a 14-0 game. This it's a totally different it's game. Over. It's done. And you know, we talk about we can talk about that Ayuk fumble that we don't even really know what a hell of a catch is anymore. That should have been a fumble that probably would have led because it was a momentum change there too. The Mercedes Lewis fumble. The Mercedes Lewis fumble stops the offense almost completely. AJ Dillon gets hurt. And takes away basically the entire mojo of the Packers' offense when they can't run the ball and San Francisco came out and stopped them. Also in part due to the odd Patrick offensive line. But I, I guess, like I said, just one of those things of... I agree with that. In what sense? Where did I lose you? I, I think... I don't know if I agree with the, the Patrick offensive line take. I don't – I think that's a terrible take. I, I really do. I think if Bakhtiari would have played, it would have been more patchwork than it has been all year long. He hasn't played all year long. I, I thought playing Turner at left tackle was a terrible idea. You should have been Yash. Now, I, if anything, I would have pulled Patrick out of the starting group and put Turner at right guard. But that's that's ultimately what I'm kind of saying uh, is you didn't play your best players at their position at the players at the positions they're best at. Take take David Bakhtiari to this for just a second because I I mean he's still an All Pro, All World caliber left tackle, but he's not available. Let's just call that what it is. But I just I don't get why you go to Billy Turner at left tackle, Dennis Kelly who was a free agent for a reason. Well, and wasn't signed until late in the camp and didn't play until we absolutely needed him on this team. You had Yash Nijman. Well. You had Yash Nijman who proved he could handle 
Bosa did so pretty damn well in week three. Granted, different schemes. We can't say 100% that the game would have turned out any different, but we don't know. But we do know that he was able to handle the assignment back then. I guess I just don't get not playing the best players at their best positions. And I think ultimately that was eventually well, going I'll to. I'll tell you what, I'm not going to. I agree to that, but, you know, Adam Stenovich has done a hell of a job all year long. And I'm assuming that's ultimately Adam Stenovich's call, right? As the old line coach. I, I would probably have some assumption of that, but like I said, I don't know if maybe they just got they overthought it or maybe they just were that confident Bakhtiar was going to play and just had to kind of freak out at the last second. I don't know what it was, but it was just one of those things where, like I said, it got us to this point. But if you would have told me, you know, with, with knowing that David Bakhtiari wouldn't play, that the offensive line in some capacity would be the downfall of this team, I wouldn't have been surprised. I don't know when it would have came, but I wouldn't have been surprised. Well, I mean, I think I don't think you're wrong. I don't think the offensive line helps the situation, right? I think there are two bigger contributing factors, though, and that's obviously the special teams. Special teams, we talked about with Mason even last week. I'm like, hey, what's the special teams? And we all kind of agreed, right? The special teams has looked better. But if I would have told you three weeks ago, hey, we're going to bounce the first round of the playoffs because of special teams. Wouldn't have been surprising. No, we all have been like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's one of those things that we've been saying probably since, what, the Baltimore game? Maybe even going back to the Pittsburgh game. Yeah. When they get lucky on a, on a, on a kind of fluky offsides. Well, since, when since, Mika Fitzpatrick blocks. Since Cincinnati, when Mason missed those field goals. Right, but even that but we I, had even we, that game, we kind of it was just maybe a kicker problem. But we had questions about special teams at that point. Sure. Right, I mean, that, so going back to Cincinnati, and that was what week? That would have been week four, week five. And then Matt Lafleur comes out and doubles down on what's his face is one of the best special teams coordinators in the league. Well, then how how are we ranked thirty first in special teams? Like that's just. I I don't you know I don't I'm not even gonna be, I'm gonna be a, I I'll give the benefit of the doubt that maybe Mo Drayton is a good coordinator. And it good, you know, gets the most of the guys he puts on the field most of the time. But at some point, I don't know if it's Mo Drayton or if it's what Matt Lafleur is giving him or some other coordinator is giving him to put on special teams. They had the wrong personnel at almost every turn. Yep. And I don't know who makes that decision ultimately as to who's going to play the up back and punt coverage. Who's going to play the one of the per, the personal protectors. I, I don't know who makes those decisions. I you it's easy to blame Mo Drayton because it probably in some capacity is him, but I'm assuming he's probably picking out of a limited pool too. Sure, but you need better. You need results. Point right. blank. At the end of the day, you just need results. And then my other one was obviously Aaron Rodgers. And at the end of the day, regardless of any outside of circumstance, regardless of what happened, you need to be able to put up 21 points in a playoff game. I didn't even really care what the weather was doing, and they put up half of that. Like, he put up half the points he should. And sure, I mean, I'm not 100% Aaron Rodgers. That was a pretty dirty pocket most of the game. And, you know, I didn't see it on TV, so I can't really say, just from my experience where I saw, it looked like a pretty dirty pocket. 
It very much was, yeah. And so that's not 100% Aaron Rodgers, but we also can't just keep giving Aaron Rodgers a pass when he shows up in these big playoff games, lays an egg, and then it's like, oh, it's on somebody else. Oh, it's this person's fault. Oh, it's that person's fault. Well, there's kind of a general answer that Aaron hasn't played well in a big playoff game in a long time. And at the end of the day, you're paying him what? He's a $38 million cap hit. You need to be able to score 20 points. And you didn't. And granted, again, not all on him, but a lot of it is. So I guess Aaron needs to be better. You can't have as noisy of a last nine months as you've had and then come out and lay an egg like that. And I guess that's where the excuses need to stop and you just need to shut up and play football. Like, that's... You can't just... You can't be noisy and then not show up. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at the box scores and these stats and... I, I guess, you know, I think Aaron, and I, I will say this, you you need to make plays. It doesn't have to show up in the box score for stats, but you're right. You do need to pass the eye test, too. He was 20 of 29, 5.8 yards per pass. Jimmy Garoppolo was 11 of 19, 4.6 yards per pass. Uh, Rodgers was sacked five times, lost 29 yards. Garoppolo was sacked four for 25. Yeah. What were you going to say, Justin? I just don't know how we don't talk about the, to to me, I know we talked about it in our group chat, but I don't know how we don't talk about and don't criticize him more for this decision, because this was clearly, this wasn't a Matt LaFleur decision. This wasn't anybody else's decision, but Aaron Rodgers. But there's four minutes left. It's second and nine. All we need is one first down, and we take it at least to the two-minute warning, or we soak up their three timeouts. Completely changes the game. Correct? Yeah. The the 49ers cornerback is injured or gets injured, momentarily stops the clock. The, the fifth or sixth or 15th cornerback that they bring off is none other than Josh Norman. Okay, a guy who has seen everything that is needed to be seen in the game of football, experienced, right? A guy which experience is going to tell you they're going to attack you right away. He's a former All-Pro. They're going to attack you right away. Aaron, not, in my mind, not understanding the situation, of what he needed to do in in running the clock, checks out of the call and goes to a one-on-one where what he thinks is a one-on-one between him and Devante and Devante and and Josh Norman. But what San Francisco has done or did so well the whole night was show one-on-one coverage and then roll a safety over the top to help. They did that all night to confuse Aaron, and it, it and it did. It confused Aaron. But to not run the ball on second and nine to get into a more manageable situation for a first down, a pivotal first down, 
and then to stop the clock on an incomplete pass, then to take a sack and put your punter in the end zone. Granted, it was out. It, the ball was marked out. What seven, eight, nine yard line? You essentially put your punter in the end zone on a bad special teams it, it, with your back against the wall. This, to me, was the decision that lost the game for them. It was unbelievably bad. Uh, he should re- he should face the criticism for that call. Um, and even look, let's just vice versa. Let's say Matt Lafleur made the call to go one on one against. Um, Josh Norman with Devontae. I, I want to I just before, just for clarity, Justin, is this if the play? Knew, is this the play where he missed Lazard over the middle that you're referring to? Or, no. Okay. Nope. Nope. This is the first play after um, the cornerback got injured uh, when he he went head to head with his own defensive lineman. This is the drive before that one. This is the one that this is the drive that tied the game on the blocked punt, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. It was four minutes left. It was second and nine. All they needed to do was run the ball, get to a more manageable situation uh, to get a first down, and then run the clock out. Changes the game. You're essentially taking 35 seconds off the clock with that decision. Would have been huge down, down in the end. Yeah, I definitely you agree. You should face I, all the criticism in the world for that. I, I do got to say, I I don't know if this was Rodgers or Lafleur or, or some combination of both. Um, because they do talk about quite frequently as to why they went away from the running game. It just In their mind, it wasn't working. And I get that even getting two or three yards, maybe make that like a third and six, third and seven, whatever. And keeping the clock running. That is very important. I'm not going to take that away. Um, I, I'm just like I said. I'm curious on who, who's making that call, ultimately. But so, even either, either way, right? Either right. Way, no, if, either way. If Matt Lafleur makes that call, and and fans know that Matt Lafleur makes that call. We're asking for his head. We're we're all you know all Packer fans are going to ask for their head. I'm so I'm even, surprised. At how smart you think the 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 Packers fans think they are, that they did not notice this one situation in a game that will completely change. Well, I'm gonna be honest. I don't. I don't think Packer fans as a whole, on average, are to that same level. But let's be honest, though. Matt Lafleur's offense doesn't work unless you have a solid base in the run. It hasn't worked for Green Bay all year. Right. And that's what the, the. I mean, that AJ Dillon injury was huge. Right. No, I because agree. Because he was the driving force that he will get you three yards, in it, but it's a hard three, right? Aaron Jones doesn't get you those hard three. And that's why A.J. Dillon is so instrumental in that offense. And, I, I you know, I've been pretty critical of spending second-round draft pick on a running back. What, what are we doing? But A.J. Dillon, you could make an argument, was the driving force that offense all year. They kind of came and went as A.J. Dillon was able yeah. to run the ball. Well, especially when you consider how I mean, and this isn't just that this is you know the NFL is a copycat league, and when you have quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, who who have had seasons like they have in the last few years, where the majority of NFL defenses against these big arm quarterbacks have gone to so much cover two, 
and playing too over the top and making you dink and dunk down the field. I know I wholeheartedly agree with both of you how how big that AJ Dillon injury ends up being. Because for the most part, when you get to that point, when you do need a dink and dunk, you do need to eat clock, and that's when you're driving force of the team, and you don't have that. Very underrated how I how much of an impact he had all year on this team. And let's can we make a new rule on the show too? Aaron Rodgers is not the same conversation as Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Not anymore. He might have been at one point, but we saw something on Sunday night specifically that Aaron has never been able to do what those two guys have done. I don't now, know about that. I, I don't like that take. No, that's 100% fast. Oh, but Aaron, no. Aaron has never been... He's a four-time MVP. What are you talking about? Yeah, but this the game's changed. That's not... Aaron's outdated now. He, he's not what those guys are. You saw... There is stuff that Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen both can do that Aaron hasn't been able to do. Aaron's not great coming with uh, coming from behind. Aaron's not great in the playoffs, yet alone. I mean, he's had at this point what two decent playoff runs in a decade. I mean, you want to? There's a lot of one and done with Aaron. Go look at his playoff numbers. Aaron's not great when he has a superstar receiver. When he has to, when when he's forced to spread the ball around and to find a uh, a different guy every single play, that's when he's the, his greatest. Devonte Adams, for all the greatness he is, and, and a dream receiver for anybody. Aaron locks on him so bad, yeah, he does. so much. It's unbelievable. He's he's his worst. He's his own worst best friend. I mean, I guess at that point though, is so. I was that. That's always a hard argument too. With what's the secret to that, right? Like some quarterbacks, like Peyton Manning, for the majority of his career, was able to spread the ball around very evenly to a number of receivers. Same with Tom Brady. But, again, Aaron, since Jordy's been gone, so that's, what, 2015 now? 2017. But it's been pretty much five years, yeah. strictly Devontae Adams over the last five years. And Right, no doubt about it. It's hard to... That's a good point, Justin. I don't... I guess I don't know what the answer to that is, but... When a team is well enough schemed that they take Devontae out, Aaron struggles. And Aaron, like I said, Aaron struggled in big playoff games. And even going back to the 2010 run, he struggled in that Chicago game. That wasn't an Aaron Rodgers great game. I mean, the Seattle losses, he struggled in. He struggled in Atlanta. He struggled against the 49ers four times now. I mean, we're talking about a pattern, and it's not... And I get he's a four-time MVP, and that's fine. But those MVPs aren't meaning anything. Like it's just a bunch of empty numbers. It's a bunch of empty statistics. That's at least I can say with Josh Allen and Pat Mahomes. Neither one of those guys have an ounce of clarinet. I can't count how many times Aaron Rodgers has just kind of phoned it in for the second half of a game. Tell me I'm wrong. Go back to those other San Francisco games. He's phoned it in. He gets down, he phones it in. 
even in that game, he missed an open receiver at the end of the game. You can't. That's just not stuff yep. you can pass on. It, he's struggling in big moments. Sure, the Super Bowl he played he's well. Not, you're right. He's not a big. T- he's not a big time quarterback. He he's hasn't. Just, he hasn't played well. I mean, he's spots. a big. He's a big time quarterback. He's just not a big game quarterback. He, well, he's a big game quarterback if he has a lead. Look at his numbers trailing. He has it's a, like a weirdly low fourth quarter comeback number. I think we talked about that a few episodes back. He's below like Derek Carr. And granted, I mean, I'm sure some of those numbers are a little bit artificial too because Green Bay has been so good and he hasn't had to play from behind in the fourth quarter. But still, yeah. it's like a weirdly... How many times have we seen the Packers just get boat raced by someone and Aaron just kind of phones in the rest of the game? We saw it this year in New Orleans. Top first quarter, throws two interceptions, just kind of phones it in. We saw it last year with Tampa Bay in the regular season. Two interceptions early, phoned it in the rest of the game. We've seen it against San Francisco, not necessarily this past game, but in games prior, has a rough start, kind of phones it in the rest of the game. It's just, that's what it is. And, I mean... There and I don't want to take that as there's not been bright spots because there has been, but he's five and four at Lambeau, and out of those eight favorite, I believe he was favorite eight times. That's a concerning record. And again, that's yeah. not. That's, I try not to make that an indictment on Aaron Rodgers because I think Eric hit it on the head earlier. He can do stuff that a lot of the quarterbacks in the league can't. I just think that at this point, the game's evolved a little bit to more quarterback-driven, and I think Aaron, like Justin was saying, gets fixated on certain receivers, and that that doesn't necessarily work for him at points. See, I guess I'd really be interested in seeing the tape um, of this last game and, and just of some of these other games, which I don't want to take away from guys like Alan Lazard or even Randall Cobb on on Saturday night and the element of until because I you know you really don't see it because I guess the San Francisco 49ers schemed that game perfectly I don't want to yeah, they did I don't want to take you know take away from how well they actually played yeah well defensively anyway but did they really play that well or was it Green Bay Green Bay that was probably one of the again I, I ended up going so it looks different in person but it looked like Green Bay had a whole lot of nothing on offense there were stretches where they just didn't look like they could get anything going. And granted, no, and that's that's what I'm saying. That's, that's, probably... that's ultimately my point here is is if you look at a lot of these games where where they struggle, right? And you you can look at the game that happened Saturday night. You can look at last or two years ago against San Francisco where they you know you can say that they phoned it in. Um, I you know I'm gonna be. I'm going to take a little bit of a different route. I don't think an NFL player ever can truly phone it in unless they're off the field. But Aaron has, though. And Aaron, it's mental with Aaron. You can't say that's not true. We've seen it enough times now, Eric, that we, he's he gets in these slumps. And it's okay to be in a slump, right? Like Patrick Mahomes goes through slumps. Josh Allen goes through slumps. But the confidence never wanes. When Yeah, but if you let, let, let me kind of just finish my point here with that, though, is that these games that we're pointing at, you know, they're happening in the biggest stages, the biggest moments, right? Sure. 
naturally speaking, you're going to come across better teams in those moments. And then this is this is kind of playing in your point. Maybe he's not the big game quarterback. I'll, I'll maybe I'll concede that. But what I would say ultimately is that I think first of all we really need to kind of evaluate the talent around. You know, you look at maybe the reliance on a guy like a Jordy Nelson or reliance on a guy like Devontae Adams. How great is the talent around at that point, though? Because if they can scheme so well to basically take the complete offense, like you, you, you know, before we had our, our broadcast here, Ramsey, you told me what they had three guys had receptions. It was, uh, I believe it was Aaron, Aaron Jones, Jones Devonte, and um, Alan Lazard. Alan Lazard had the one, and then obviously I think Mercedes, Mercedes Lewis, Lewis had the fumble. Had the fumble. So. With that in mind, if you're scheming, you know, you look at these games that they get out-schemed in where they can contain that one receiver, and maybe there is, you know, there is, I don't think it's a secret to say that there's a significant gap of talent between Devontae and Alan Lazard. and, And I think also even not even having MVS available for that game just to stretch the field and keep the defense a little bit more honest. Sure. Over the middle where you're running... You know, we, we've kind of avoided talking about it because it's kind of one of those hot-button plays is the one where third and 10 on the, the last drive uh, before they had to punt the ball back to San Francisco for the game-winning drive. And I know we talked about this extensively, and it's harder to kind of talk about this, especially with one of us virtual and we're doing an audio format only. But everyone points to how open Alan Lazard was on that, what ends up being the final play of the Packers' offensive season, Right. Alan Lazard crosses the middle. He had EQ running a one-on-one route. Um, that he really had no chance of winning. Josiah DeGuara kind of double coverage on a wheel route. Aaron Jones running a wheel route himself. Also kind of covered up. Yes, Lazard definitely open. I'm not going to criticize that. And I know, again, like I said, we're, we're in audio format, so it's really kind of hard to point at. Uh, at what point is Lazard covered? What point is he wide open? Because we all we send the we all up to the final result of that play being Alan Lazard across the middle, Devon Adams double covered, with a cornerback on him who has been released nine times and is known for pass interference mistakes. And with the coverage, again, I'd have to watch the actual film of it because we could, we only look at the kind of the gift version of it. See, I still refuse to accept that. Throwing to single coverage is always better than throwing to double coverage. I don't care how big your talent cap your receivers are. These are NFL receivers. This this whole thought process of the difference between Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard, there's a pretty big gap, but we're still talking about professional receiver. I refuse to ever concede any thought of throwing double coverage is better well right but what i'm saying is i you know we like i said we have the gift version the the amazon stat whatever where it's just they the numbers. rolled it right from the start i, I was... would i would want to see the actual film version before i actually make my final decision on this because okay, when if... he throws that when he releases the ball i think there's a very clear point where the safety that ends up kind of coming over the top to help on Devonte. i do think there was an element where very realistically would have been one-on-one with Lazard, where Rodgers maybe thought the coverage was that he was going to break in, then he'd have Devonta Adams one-on-one because it was a corner blitz and the pocket, pocket was collapsing. But why would you think that, though? They didn't do that all game. That didn't happen. That happened at, what, the first quarter? Since then, the last three, that didn't happen. And where Alan Lazard was on the field, and I believe the defensive back, and again, I, this, I was there, so it's obviously a completely different view from what you guys saw on TV, so I might have been seeing this wrong. 
I believe that defensive back turned and ran towards Devontae. His back was Look, to so the that's, play. I want to see the. I'd have to see the film to officially make that distinction. But regardless of the fact, you still threw a double coverage on a third and ten. Like that's that's unexcusable. I, and, sure, but if like my ultimate point is, if you think it's not going to be double coverage and you go on one on one to Devontae down the middle, because that play call that they ran is ends up being the same play call that they ended up getting the in position to kick the game winning field goal the first time they played. Just a different route being run, where you essentially have Alan Lazard running the Devontae route that ended up getting them across the middle of the field to kick that field goal in week three. But and I mean I I get what you're saying too with the whole the receivers in general, right? Like, are we sure it's not necessarily talent on the receiver side? That's not a great argument though, because Pat Mahomes threw touchdowns to how many receivers on Saturday? He had, what, four or five? Josh Allen had four touchdowns. Tom Brady has never had an issue passing to multiple receivers in a game. Outside of the one year with, what, Randy Moss, he's had there's a whole lot of average receivers with Tom Brady in his career. Tom sure, Brady's made it but work. What I'm saying is when you can hyperfixate defensively on one guy, it makes it a lot easier to cover the rest. Whereas when you when you look at, like you said, when you have maybe kind of more mediocre across the board. You can't really fixate on one, either as the quarterback or even as the defense. And it's kind of a double-edged sword. I mean, that'd be a fascinating question to ask an NFL quarterback and see what they would have to say on that topic is, do you guys feel pressure to throw to a Devante over Alan Lazar in that situation because he's your playmaker? Or... Is that just the difference between Aaron and Tom Brady? Like, Tom Brady is willing to throw that crossing route to Alan Lazard because Tom Brady has trust that Alan Lazard's going to make a play. Do you know what I mean? I guess that right. would be, that'd be a, that's probably a question we'll never actually know the answer to because obviously none of us are going to play in the league. So, well, I, like I said, I even want to know just as, as to, and, you know, we'll, maybe we'll never know on that specific play, what Aaron saw when he released the ball. And we'd have to look on film and we can see. We can see what we would see from film, but we won't actually see what he actually saw as to what maybe led to that decision. Well, and I, I hate to do this too, but in comparison to Madden, right? How many times in Madden do you fix on a receiver, throw the ball deep, and it gets picked off? When you, Frequently. When you had an open receiver downfield. So I, I guess I'd, it's Aaron's fault because he's a professional quarterback and he should know better. However, I do get the fact that people can get fixated on a receiver. I don't think that gives an excuse, though, to not hit the easy play. Because Aaron's kind of had that throughout his career, too, of not checking down to the right check, right? I mean, I think we that's kind of been not necessarily a theme, but a little bit more of like an underlying theme of he's done this before. Well, let's, let's even take that a step. And I'm sorry, Justin, that we're having a very two-sided conversation, but let's... Let's look at play calls and let's look at reads. That's fine. Is Devontae the number one read if he believes that Lazard's going to have that safety break in and Devontae's the one, the number one read and he's, in theory, what you see based on the coverage, if he's one-on-one, you go to your number one read. That's what you're taught day one to be a quarterback. See, I, and Justin, maybe you can hit on this a little better too, but I don't necessarily think Devontae would have been the number one read on that play. That was third and ten on their what twenty five. I don't disagree with that idea of things, but because we don't necessarily know the play call, I'm curious on how 
just in general, not not necessarily that specific play or or just the game, you know, because we look at McCarthy, right? The they you can say the wasted years of McCarthy towards the end. As to how much of that was on scheme, that just became a tired message. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just curious on on when you look at these games where they get locked up or whatever, how much of it actually falls back on the scheme? I see. I think Alan Lazard would have been the read on that play. Because you had Devante on the single side by himself, correct? You had Aaron Jones, DeGuara, and Lazard all on the left-hand side. Yeah. Where you had, or same acronym as St. Brown was also on that side. Correct. With Aaron Jones, DeGuara, and Lazard. So Devante was your single receiver on the right-hand side of the play. So how that would scheme and how I would assume that would be read is that Alan Lazard would be the number one read. Now, Alan Lazard might not have been open when Aaron checked down, and Aaron might have checked down into Devontae. However, I still think that Aaron's a good enough quarterback that he could have fit that ball in there. He's hit, fit in tighter spots before. Sure. So I guess I think that it's a hard... Again, we don't know the Packers' offensive playbook, and we don't know the offensive reads. So I guess that's not something that we'll probably ever know the true answer to. But if I was reading that and looking at the other routes in the route tree, I would assume that Alan Lazard would have been kind of the picked receiver because he was. Where DeGuara was going and where St. Brown was going, Alan Lazard's kind of the picked receiver to get the defensive back to go with outside coverage. Right. Justin? But what play are, exactly are we talking? Are we talking about the third and nine third after and the play ten. that I was criticizing? Yeah, the third and ten. The, the play that ends up being... What could last be last play the bomb? Yes, the bomb to Devonta. Okay, so here's one thing that I'm I'm a little surprised no one has um, covered. It, it's it's the loss of MVS. I I said that minutes ago. There it is. I'm sorry. MVS certainly would have been the guy on the on the far right side all by himself running the deep. Route, right is that where you went with yours yeah kind of because I, like I said i, I think and, it just it's and, Devon, and Devante would have been in lazard's in in, in lazard's and lazard right, would have been the, where the Sam belief is that that's the same yeah. play that there's the same scheme that they ended up using in week three when lazard or when uh Devante catches that crossing route to set up the field goal to win the game it's the same play pattern yeah. same route tree yeah, but no, then, that I, would, then I totally agree with what you were saying. That would still tell you, though, that Devontae would have been the read, which then would have been Alan Lazard. Because Devontae caught that in the right. crossing route. So, so that, the, ball, the, the, ball, the ball should have went to, to Lazard. Lazard. That would have been where the read was. Yeah, arguably speaking, I do And agree. that's where, obviously, like I said, right from the start, and I would, again, I don't want to have talking absolutes, but how I remember this play happening was that defensive back turned shoulder and ran with Devontae down the field. So I I believe they rolled coverage right from the start because they brought that corner blitz and then the other defensive back turned tail. It was, a, it was Jimmy Ward on the blitz. It was a safety blitz. So they had the uh, 29 ends up coming and turning to the middle of the field. So I think he had deep third, which Lazard was running into. That's the only thing. So I don't know if he turns and runs and what at what point he camps out. I would like so I will go back and I'll if we want to come back to this next week I can I'll because how I remember it though is that that defensive back number twenty nine turned complete shoulder around was I think uh, he did looking at the away of the play. was looking away from the play the entire time 
And that's why I'm saying that Lazar should have been the read. And I again, Devontae, we believe, was. And I think Aaron just got fixated that he didn't trust Alan Lazar to make the play, is what I truly believe happened. Now, again, I could be wrong. I'm, I'm wrong 100 times a day. And I could be talking completely out of my ass here. But how I view it, Alan Lazar was the read. Aaron chose not to go there. And Absolutely, that's, 100%. And that's fine. Obviously, I'm not a quarterback, and I don't, you know, I don't get to make those decisions. But if that's the play we decide to go with and they feel good about it, then I guess it is what it is. But I think there were two or three better options on that play than Devontae Adams. I still think Lazard was the only other option to go there. And like I said, we'd have to see the coverage. But I even go back to it with St. Brown. I would rather take a one-on-one with Akinem and St. Brown than a double coverage trying to throw to Devontae. And I know that 100%. sounds kind of absurd, but I would definitely... In a 50-50 ball at that. Yeah, give me a 50-50 ball over a double coverage, in my opinion. Oh, wholeheartedly agree. I'm just saying... So Devontae was the worst route then. Everyone else was in single coverage. But depending on what you think that safety is going to do, the ends up being double covered. Like at the, at the end of the at the end of the play, you're right. How it ends up getting covered, you're right. But I'm curious at the time that Rodgers threw the ball, what the read was, and what the scheme looked like. Because I, you can take this GIF version that you know the stat that broadcast whatever has, and you can you can look at it a million times, and you can you can make some in in you know some decision there but without the actual film which i don't really want i mean i, I want to see but i also don't want to pay to see it i'm curious on what that ended up turning into i they rolled coverage to Devante regardless regardless of what happened they still rolled coverage to Devante. right so Devante automatically should not have been the read i guess that's where i'm getting and whenever someone rolls coverage on a receiver, you should look somewhere else. And, I, I mean, I guess, to Aaron's credit, I think he's a good enough quarterback, and I think Devontae is probably the best receiver I've seen play. So do you want to give your best guy a chance? I would agree with that. But you also got to know the refs aren't going to call pass interference there, right? I mean, I think that that was kind of pretty well... We didn't really see too much pass interference all weekend for the most part. Right. Right. I mean, the NFL's kind of let those guys play a little bit more this year than they have in pet the past. So I don't know if that would have been my what I would have been trying to achieve there, I suppose. Yeah, I don't I I just think I, I'm just gonna be brutally honest. I think it was a terrible decision. Uh, it, Aaron was locked on one guy, one guy only, and it was a terrible decision. Bottom line. All right. So I think, I mean, I really think we've covered this game from every angle we can. Fact of the matter, and we're is, going to for the next four months. Right. The next four yeah, we're years. We're going to cover it out. Yeah. And we still talk about Seattle. <laughs> Don't talk about that right I now, know, though. I know. Um, so I guess just to wrap up the Packers talk here, and I think we've we've I think we've all covered it, uh, maybe except myself. But January twenty fifth, twenty twenty two, season just came to an end. What is the fate of Aaron Rodgers going to be for the twenty twenty two twenty twenty three season? Prediction. I would say this, and I kind of took a little bit of time on Monday to go look at this. 
And we're so just talking about Aaron Rodgers as a whole, I don't see a team. So first off, trading Aaron Rodgers, mm-hmm. I think is off the table. Just period. If you look at the teams who have capital, enough draft draft capital to acquire Aaron Rodgers, and is in the AFC, I don't think that exists to a team Aaron would be willing to go to. So I, in my opinion, Aaron will be back in Green Bay next year. However, I don't. If he comes back, period. I think he does, but in my opinion, I think he's back in Green Bay. Run it back one more year. Justin, I, I'm on the same agreement with uh, Ramsey, um, but I'm leaning to- towards retirement more than I'm leaning towards coming back to Green Bay. Yeah, you could sense you could sense the way he's talking. Um, you can sense how. Um, the year has gone, uh, how much he has not, he really has not, like he's had fun playing the game. He has not had fun with all the outside noise that comes along with being in the spotlight and being as great as he is. Um, Even from the comments of him about the president of the United States the day of the game, um, he's getting more political in things. Um, he seems like he's ready to kind of, uh, dive off into the limelight and, and be quiet for a while and not be in mainstream news. And so if, if he comes back, I totally agree. It will be with the Packers. There's no way, uh, I, I, there's no way I think he plays for anybody else, but the Packers, uh, whether that's his doing or the Packers doing, regardless, I don't think he plays for anybody else but the Packers. But to me, retirement is looking looking at him awfully, looking good to him, awfully awfully well right now. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna sign off on that too, Justin. Um, I I do think I think we're pretty unanimous in this decision. I think the you know you look at the writing on the wall you know you look at what he says and he's very cerebral with what he says right we all know this a couple weeks back he said that the grass is greener where you water it speaking of his relationship with brian good against the front office it's not always on the other side it's not always with a different team it's just where you water it, where you maintain it. and that's i mean anybody with a basic understanding of lawn care can understand that so but also just the, the element of you know He's become friends to, like, out of his mouth and other people, you know, John Kuhn made uh, an appearance in CBS Sports last week, too. Just kind of hammering that down is that he has a great deal of respect from this relationship with the front office and the coaching staff. Uh, Aaron himself even saying it to that it's become a friendship, right? And, you know, you look at some of the things he said since this game ended and and kind of leaving even leading into it you look at seasons he made or the comments he made at the start of the season that he actually hammered down on and, and reiterated today on uh pat McAfee's show on his weekly appearance talked about how he wasn't you know he kind of came to peace with retirement last offseason already of he's not afraid of it he's not afraid of you know 
missing it. He's not afraid of all that stuff. He's afraid of missing the locker room, the guys, but committing to a full season. The ups and the downs that come with it, the emotions, the the outside appearances you have to do, all that stuff, committing to a full season has been something that um, he's kind of at peace with, and he has to decide if that's what he wants to do again. So, it, yes, if he's playing, I think it will be in Green Bay. I think maybe even just to kind of ease some of that hit, because if he does retire, that's still a salary cap hit that they would have in some capacity. I think maybe they do do some sort of contract extension to make it a little bit more manageable. Just like I think the, the Steelers are going to do with Ben Roethlisberger, um, kind of touching back to that. But really... They should give him the Bobby Bonilla deal. <laughs> right. Nice baseball reference there, Justin. Um, but you, you look at just kind of everything that's going on with with his personal life. And like you said, just kind of just, you know, as, as much of an or, you know advocate for mental health as he is, I don't think being a quarterback in the NFL is probably the best for him at this point because of how much it, you know, he's he had an immense amount of fun playing the season. I think he kind of just said, fuck it and went out and let it rip. But at the same time, and I, I think he finally, you know, for so long he was very quiet on his personal opinions. And he, and he really had to answer some discussions this year. And, and I really loved him for that, you know, in that sense of not caring, you know, just letting his, you know, being an actual person as opposed to a robotic quarterback that some want your quarterback to be. But at the same time, you know, if it's already coming down to this last offseason, you know, yes, you don't get the Cinderella ending of a Super Bowl, but you still get to look at how much fun was it this season. And I think that's the ultimate. I think that's going to what ends up being the biggest piece of this. And yes, they can run it back. You can you can make the contracts work. You can make the set the signing bonuses um, instead of the guaranteed money, so it's not on the cap. You can do a lot of things to make it happen. But at the end of the day, you do have to step away sometime. And I think you know he also hinted at. He doesn't want to be sitting at a point where, you know, maybe next season and he falls off that boat like we saw happen to Drew Brees and Peyton Manning. And it just, it happens so drastically sometimes. Um, but you also don't want to be sitting where you're sitting at your, you know, at home week seven and be like, damn, I could still sling it. I should still be slinging it. Um, which I think happens in some capacity either way. But. I think he's going to be at peace with whatever decision it ends up being. And I, but I do think it is going to be, I think he retires at this point. Do you think the decision's already made? Do you think he's already made that decision uh, one way or the other? No. no. I don't think he truly is made. I think he's leaning one way or the other, though. Sure. I'll say that. I don't think it's made, but I think it's, it's leaning to something and seeing if he, if that's just the aftermath of the season or... If it's truly that's what it is, because you know you're, you know what I'd be interested to hear is how much of what happened with Farvey he's taken away in, in knowing that this was this time this decision this evolution of his career was going to come to, and how much you know even Favre's last what four or five years the decision of him coming back to play came came down to almost uh, the start of when rookies came to, to camp, you know, and, and how much that those times in his career of knowing, not knowing are playing on his mind right now. 
of well, whether he wants to or doesn't want to. Very, very much uh, something he addressed today, Justin. I'm not sure if you had caught the interview or his weekly segment today. Nope. Um, he did say that he's going to have a decision prior to free agency and even prior to salary cap time or to uh, franchise tag time so the Packers can make their decisions on on what they're going to do. You know, if they do end up tagging Devontae, um, et cetera, whether they're going to run it back or if they want to give Jordan Love some extra help. Um, he said he's going to make that decision prior to that point because he has consulted Favre um, on kind of the end of your career and how to wind it down properly and all that stuff too. Um, then that ultimately kind of goes back to something, as I was mentioning in my last uh, kind of sentences I was speaking, about how he respects this front office and he's become friends with these guys and um, – wants to ultimately give them the best for this organization, best for this coaching staff, best for this team, as well as the best for himself. So um, he did go on record stating that he believes that this will be made prior, probably to the end of February, early March, so the team can kind of do what they got to do one way or the other. Mm-hmm. See, I, I try, yeah, you know. I think the decision has already been made. I don't know what that decision is going to be. I think Aaron knows what he's going to do. I just don't. I think he knows privately what he's going to do. I think him and Shailene have already talked about it. I think that he knows what he's going to end up doing. I it's... think he has an inkling. I think he I think he kind of, you know, you can, t- you can read the body language of and how much he's kind of been introspective this year and looking around, taking it all in and ex- experiencing the moment, which truly, you know, even, you know, this is, whatever, but something that I think just the average person needs to do a lot more, just take in the moment and and appreciate what you got around you. Um, but I think that's something you saw him doing a lot of and, and coming to peace with the fact that, you know, you're not always going to get the Cinderella ending, but you also had a lot of fun along the journey too. Yeah. And, and I think, I, you know, and I, I like I said, I, I think uh, that that's kind of where he's he's leaning, um, you know, just based on everything. If he's playing, I I, I truly believe it'll be Green Bay. I, I want to see that happen. I want to see one more thing. But he also doesn't want the press tour of a a final season either. You know, he doesn't want to be. Yep, this is the final run. Let's do it. But I I think in a way that he kind of got that without getting that directly. That's an interesting. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting thought. I never thought about it that way. So, anyway, that is the end of our our main thing. Unless any of you guys have anything else to add there. Nope. Because we have talked for a damn long time. That I am not sure anybody's actually going to finish this episode. But if you do and you're here, congratulations. So, just a little parting yeah, gift. You made it. <laughs> little parting gift. We're gonna wrap up with how we always do and talk about what we're rooting for. Rams, I know you're gonna go with the Rolex twenty four, so why don't you uh reinform the listeners about what that's about? Already stated earlier. We can just move on. Justin, what are you rooting for this week? Well boys Old Coach Dahl is rooting for himself here. Alright? Brace yourselves. Listen up. It's my thirty sixth birthday this holy shit you're old i know i am going to be ready for another trip around the sun my friends 
36 years old and uh i'll be at home because i am currently quarantined with the family in the house so it, it might it might be a short birthday celebration for as much as we're locked up in here what quick wrist all gonna strike again well not not in the right way this time I'm not going to touch that, but anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm going to go a little bit of the personal route myself. Um, standing up in a wedding this weekend for my cousin Christopher and his uh, his his wife-to-be. Well, I think technically they're already married for tax purposes or whatever. But Mackenzie. So Chris and Mackenzie, Chris and Tonto uh, have their wedding this weekend. My brother and I are both standing up in it as well as uh, my cousin and some, some family friends of ours. Uh, so big weekend in our family. Uh, so we'll, that's where we'll be this weekend, and kind of just excited to to go party it up with the family. Yep. And well, congratulations to Chris and what'd you say, Tonto? Yeah, we call her Tonto. That's a whole long story, but Mackenzie. Okay. Well, congratulations to Chris and Mackenzie. Uh, have a great night and enjoy yourselves. You'll never get a bad. All right. That's episode fifty nine of the Root for Wisconsin show. I'm Eric. That's Justin. And Rams is sitting here quietly. We're out. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye. Salute.